Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black Talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-Centered Encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com Is that South Africa um, has no tolerance for protest culture. The funny thing is that I was there on that day and um, many of us got in beaten, uh, tear gassed by the cops. And mm. that's a story that's not told because the journalist had left at that time. Mm. So on that day, um, we thought as students, we were there to occupy Rutuli House. Uh, but because of, you know, politics mm. um, and the political interests that were there, because we had student leaders who were leading FISMAS4, but who were working for the, the government that perpetuates a system of black exclusion of black uh, uh, oppression. So I think 20 of us, majority black women, after those students have left, after all of those crowds left, we sat there and, and occupied Lutuli House. And in our occupation, we were met with uh, police brutality and violence. And it's not a narrative that's reported on because all the journalists had left. Mm. So when I say there's no... Um, there's no tolerance for protest culture. I don't only mean FISMAS4. Um, Andris Dadane, an activist who was protesting for water, was killed in this country by cops. Um, Professor mentioned Marikana. So there are more cases like this where a person might not actually be physically killed, but you can still see the bullet wounds. You can still see the rubber bullets. You, you see um, the tension that it has. So it is evident that protest culture in this country um, is not tolerated so by the state. Context of white supremacy, Gusty Vinnegade in for another broadcast hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Sunday, June 26th, 2016. So I have been told. Uh, quick reminder, I made a request at the end of the broadcast yesterday evening uh, that if folks could uh, 
find the specific audio segments where Mr. Fuller and Dr. Welsing were referencing uh, Darth Vader, Star Wars, and how that relates to white supremacy. Someone already located uh, where Mr. Fuller was doing this, so now we just need Dr. Welsing. And I think I can recall her doing this more than once. I just can't recall the exact broadcast where uh, she did this. So if anybody, if you have free time, if you're looking for a project, something constructive to do, want to go through the archives and listen to some Dr. Welsing content, if you can find the one specifically where she's talking about Darth Vader and the symbolism, how that relates to white supremacy, that would be much obliged. There's a small project uh, I would like to work on, and that would be a part of it. Right on. That's it. Uh, we emphasize uh, consistently the importance of thinking about, talking about racism, white supremacy as a global problem. Uh, I think that's very important. I think frequently racists uh, kind of steer us in the direction of thinking that this is something isolated, that this is only a problem in certain areas, that maybe it's only a problem uh, in the southern United States, or maybe it's only a problem in South Africa, but that's mostly wrapped up, uh, and that, you know, generally everybody gets along. And I've concluded that nothing could be further from the truth that white supremacy is the dominant system worldwide. I think it's grand anytime we get an opportunity to talk to uh, whites and non-white people uh, in different parts of the globe just to see the consistencies, compare and contrast how that system operates. Uh, for the broadcast today, as I said, there are lots and lots of anniversaries uh, in the month of June. There have been lots of them uh, in the states that we've been talking about this uh, month with James Meredith the March Against Fear, even more recently with the one-year anniversary of the uh, Charleston, South Carolina massacre uh, in South, Carolina, uh, South Africa. Uh, they are recognizing the 40-year anniversary of the Soweto student uprisings from 1976. Uh, they're also having a lot of 20-year reflections on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, that was put in place uh, after the fall, so they say, of uh, apartheid uh, to get accurate, truthful information about some of the atrocities uh, that happened. They're reflecting on that. It strengths weaknesses uh, throughout the year. Uh, the stream, they recently, uh, Al Jazeera, they have a program called The Stream. They recently did a segment on the uh, Soweto student uprisings uh, where they had a panel of guests. Uh, one of them in particular, I thought she had a lot of uh, great things to say, reached out to her. I thought it would be great to have her uh, on the program. Uh, she is a student activist, a storyteller, a rape survivor, uh, and has written, talked about, done a lot of constructive content uh, in terms of addressing the problems that black people face in South Africa. Uh, she has a special interest in uplifting, empowering, educating uh, black girls, black females in general uh, in South Africa. A uh, real pleasure to have her on the program, and hopefully I can say her name correctly the first time. Uh, joining us live, our guest, uh, Simam Kele Glakavu. Uh, are you with us, ma'am? Yes, that was not bad. Right on. Real pleasure to have you uh, joining us live on the uh, on the program. Uh, if there's anything that you think it would be important for listeners to know about, um, no, um, I think it's it's. I'm very excited to be on the show. Firstly, because um, you know I'm a Pan Africanist. And it's great to be in a conversation with an African-American um, and to be on the platform. I had the pleasure last year of um, engaging with students from Howard who were visiting the country. And the connection was so deep because I think even though um, slavery and colonialism divide, I, I feel a deep connection with all black people in the diaspora. So thank you for having me. 
again, pleasure is ours. Pleasure is ours. Always great when we can talk to folks on the uh, on the continent. Uh, I think it's obvious that folks have seen the uh, image that we have uh, promoting the broadcast, but you are a black female. Is that correct? Yeah. Right on. Uh, this program, uh, I use the term white supremacy and the term racism. I use them as synonyms, and I use the same definition for both terms. Uh, the definition I use is as follows. Uh, a global system of people who classify themselves as white as white and are dedicated, dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Uh, do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? I do definitely believe that such a system exists. Um, and it's very evident, it's evident in you know, the whole world. Um, in South Africa, um, it's evident every day because South Africa had slavery, colonialism, and it had apartheid. So it had a, a settler you know, colonization. So the people that colonized us didn't leave after colonization. They believed that this was their land too, and they still own the large percentage of our country's wealth, even though and land, even though they are a minority. Uh, white supremacy um, affects South Africans in different ways. So it's evident in our education system. Uh, we learn more about uh, the West. Um, and white lived experiences than we do our own. We learn more. We are taught by white bodies mostly. It's evident in our media, the definitions of beauty, who uh, make up the covers of magazines, for instance, uh, even in Africa. Uh, it's evident in, in who um, occupies, for instance, corporate South Africa and uh, the means of production. So it's, white supremacy is, is embedded um, in our country. We, uh, I listen to uh, Cape Talk Radio uh, pretty regularly, weekly, and they had a segment on not that long ago, and they were saying that uh, there, for a time, I don't know if it's still the case currently, like 2016, but I mean recent history within the last decade or so, that it was much easier if you were trying to buy a doll, uh, like for children, uh, if you were going to buy a doll, it would be much easier to find a white doll than a black doll in South Africa, where the population is, I would say, in the ballpark of about 80% black, might even be higher than that. Is that true? Mm -hmm. Yes, it, it is. It, 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 it's, it's very sad. And... Um, that's definitely true. Um, I have um, plenty of nieces, and uh, two of them live in Johannesburg. Uh, one is five years old, and the other one is just under two. And uh, her mother is Namibian, and my father is, uh, I mean, my, my brother is South African. And finding dolls for them, black dolls for them, was very difficult. So some dolls had to be ordered, because um, as research has shown, is that a black young girl owning a black doll um, and going up with it and seeing that this doll is beautiful um, has an effect on the um, uh, self-esteem. I remember a show a few years ago um, on the Oprah Winfrey show, um, this black young woman um, did an doll test with young black girls um, where they were asked which doll is the most beautiful. And all of the, the black girls chose the white doll and then they were asked uh, which doll is most reflective of you. And then they saw, and then they chose the black doll and they started crying because they were saying, 
uh, by saying that the black doll, I mean, the white doll is beautiful and the black doll is ugly, they were reflecting, you know, self-hate. And so my sister and I watched that show a few years ago. So we've, we've engaged in a deliberate process of just um, making sure that our nieces understand that they're beautiful uh, and they black beautiful skin. Wow, awesome, awesome. What, what about your childhood? Did you have access to, to black dolls and constructive, beautiful images uh, of black people growing up? Definitely not. I didn't have access. I don't think I ever owned a black doll um, growing up. Um, and I, I, but I did, I, I did have images of beautiful black women growing up. Um, obviously, my parents and, and I, I mean, my, my mom and my grandmother and my sisters, etc., and my aunts, um, and even on television. Uh, but it was a certain kind of black beauty. So I, I used to watch a lot of Oprah when I was growing up. Um, and obviously, American influences are a deep part of South African life. Um, and obviously, Disney's Child, etc., and American TV shows. But it was uh, a certain kind of beauty, black beauty, that was promoted. So it was a black beauty that often had lighter skin, uh, black beauty that had um, um, straight hair. It had um, um, not natural hair. Um, and so and it had a certain figure, so thin, etc. So it was um, it, um, a, a, a kind of beauty that is, you know, celebrated by white supremacist systems. Um, so as I went to university and I started reading, you know, Steve Biko and the ideas of black consciousness, I threw away, you know, those, those images of beauty. I threw away um, my extensions and I started, you know, um, growing my hair naturally and, um, and loving the skin holistically. Uh, this is not to throw shade on anyone who has a weave or whatever. Um, it's their choice. Weaves are beautiful. Uh, black women are beautiful in whatever uh, hair, kind of hair they choose to have. But the problem that I have is that we can't promote a single image of beauty and, and of black beauty. Mm. Context of white supremacy. You mentioned uh, Steve Biko. Uh, checked out your uh, Twitter feed, uh, which is linked in the description to the program if folks want to follow. Uh, you have a passage. Uh, it's your pinned post uh, passage from uh, Steve Biko uh, where he writes, does this mean I am against integration? If by integration you understand a breakthrough into white society by blacks, an assimilation and acceptance of blacks into an already established set of norms and code of behavior set up by and maintained by whites, then yes, I am against it. I am against the superior, inferior, white-black stratification that makes the white a perpetual teacher and the black a perpetual pupil and a poor one at that. Why is this your, your pinned tweet? What does this, this passage specifically represent for you? Um, I'm against it because, um, well, I'm, it's very important to me, like Steve Biko and all his works in, in general is very important to me. It's important because, for instance, South Africa with, you know, the Nelson Mandela project and the reconciliation project that you mentioned earlier on in the show is that we are made to believe that we are a rainbow, a rainbow nation. We are a miracle country. 
um, and that it's all good and well, you know, black and white people united and are living happily ever after, you know. Um, and those are the images that we continuously see, uh, not only in our media, but in international media, because that is the political message that this country is trying to um, promote. But it's, it's not like that at all. So Steve Biko is important because he warned us uh, about integrating um, and how integration will maintain the system of white supremacy, will maintain, as he said, that the system that maintains black people as always inferior and white people as always superior. Um, and not only in just the material sense of like owning the land, owning the economy, but exact when it comes to knowledge production, so, for instance, he mentions how um, there's, there's an intellectual arrogance of white people that make them believe that white le uh, leadership is, you know, the best, white ideas and thoughts are the best. And those are the struggles that um, students in South Africa are fighting now. They are calling for decolonization. And by, by decolonization of the universities, we mean that we are tired of Symbol, for instance, of roads must fall, of our oppressors being all over our campuses. We are tired of just being continuously taught by, by white males and white women, etc. Uh, we are tired of being taught um, Eurocentric uh, forms of knowledge production and value systems. We are tired of being perpetual learners of white supremacy because we can never... Uh, truly accepted, uh, we can never be truly accepted by white supremacy, we can never truly understand it um, um, instead of us, you know, engaging in a project um, of, of black love, of black dignity and of black justice. So it's, um, it was just a reminder um, that we were warned about what's happening today. Um, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, by people like Steve Wickle. Right on, right on. And uh, extremely important literature, in my opinion, uh, Mr. Steve Biko, outstanding uh, understanding of white supremacy uh, demonstrated in his writing. Um, is it acceptable just so we can kind of get some context about you and your views? Uh, I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you were part of what they call the born freeze, uh, the generation after the formal end of apartheid. Is that accurate? Yeah, it oh. is. So I was... Um, um, the 90s, the, um, the early 90s were the formal end of apartheid, and we got um, the first democratic election was in 1994. So I was born after Nelson Mandela was released, and um, in 1992, and other political movements were unbanned in the country, and the negotiations for the new South Africa were starting to happen um, in 1992. So. The people that were born in that time and after are considered people that um, are born free. They never had to experience apartheid in the formal sense. So I never had to carry a past law, I mean a past book, or I've never had to, for instance, be legally discriminated against on the basis of my, basis of my race. So I've never had to, for instance, be denied um, certain access to certain spaces before, because of my race, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what they call us, a born free. Hmm. But I don't believe in the thesis of born free because um, freedom is not just about um, being able to sit next to a white person on a bench or being able to um, 
to to go swim in a white beach or a beach that was denied to black people under apartheid for freedom for me is material the fact that you know black people in this country still have don't have access to their stolen land by white people. Uh, the fact that, um, for instance, uh, an Oxfam report indicates that two white men in South Africa own the same wealth as the bottom half of the South African population. Um, that is not freedom to me. The fact that, you know, miners, black miners, who were asking for a living wage, who are mining daily in this country, risking their lives, and who are asking for minimum wage to send their kids to school, to feed their children. They were murdered by the government. That's not freedom to me. And even the same born freezed, um, statistics show that majority of them uh, are neither in institutions of, of learning or employed. So if you can't feed yourself, if you can't get educated, if you can't get a job, um, what kind of freedom is that? You can't even get a cafe to go to the same beach um, that was previously denied to you, and now apparently you can go access. Wow. You, uh, I know here in the States and elsewhere, uh, but people frequently will say, well, hey, you didn't have to go through uh, formal apartheid or formal Jim Crow. You didn't experience all that. Yeah. So why are you so angry about all this? Things are a lot better for you. And even Definitely. sometimes we've heard from people that their parents and aunts, uncles, people yeah. in their family will be like, you know, I don't understand. I went through, you know, a lot of worse forms of white supremacy than you did. I don't understand why you're so upset about this. Uh, what kind of attitude did your, have your parents and family members taken towards your activism? Um, so my parents are ANC voters um, because I, I think there's a, there's a, the politics of memory, the ANC has been good at that, or rewriting memory. So the ANC has been good because it was one of the, the few parties that got to negotiate with the apartheid government, is that it's been good in rewriting history. So for instance, there's a narrative that they are the party that liberated us. They are the party that fought apartheid. No, they were not. Millions of black South Africans fought apartheid in ev every day, right? There were so many political movements um, that fought apartheid. Steve Biko came about in a time where um, uh, there was a, a political vacuum in the country. The apartheid government had banned political movements. They had arrested um, uh, political prisoners, prisoners like um, uh, Nelson Mandela. And so they were operating by themselves and they, work, they, they, they worked to end, challenge the apartheid system by themselves, right, without the ANC. And so my, my parents are a part of the generation that has been really affected by this political brainwashing, I, I feel, um, that the ANC is the only force and only political party to liberate us. And it's, it's very sad to have lived in a system like apartheid and colonialism because you learn, and sometimes I don't blame our parents because for them, the fact that, you know, I am at university right now, something that they would have never dreamed it was possible for them, um, the fact that I can have white colleagues, for instance, and move around, those are the things that they never dreamed of. Um, they feel that, why are you complaining sometimes? But for me, I don't believe that freedom was about individuals, you know. I don't believe that, and this whole idea of token blackness, you know. So the few blacks that, that make it or have some kind of form of success should be enough. It's not enough. Like if the young black, majority of young black people in this country 
don't have access to education, higher education or employment, and the fact that a lot of them are stuck in prisons um, or are involved in drug and alcohol abuse, that's not freedom. That should not be enough for us. And so my, my parents um, are, were uneasy. So even during the season of four protests, they were like, don't be in the front, you'll get hurt, etc. You And then when they learned that I did get hurt, they were like, stop this, stop this. But I think um, they're coming to understand that it's, it's um, I took my mom to see, um, to hear Julius Malema speak, who's the, the leader of the Economic Freedom Fighters, um, a political party here in South Africa, which is advocating for the return of black people's land, uh, for the access of, of black people to their mineral resources, and for free education and healthcare and all of those uh, basic services. So I took her to hear him out. Um, and I, I, I think there was a different kind of change that happened in her. And I take her to a lot of um, things and the workshops I host to, for township and rural youth so that she sees the why. Um, and so I think she's, she's starting to, to, to see um, the, the difference and the fact that we, we have not achieved freedom context of white supremacy again joining us live from uh south africa our, our guest uh miss simamkele Dlakabu. Uh, did i say it correctly yeah right on right on um <laughs> you mentioned uh roads must fall and i know uh fees must fall roads must fall a lot of the protests that have been happening over the last mm, two years or so really um can you kind of explain for maybe listeners who have not been paying attention or maybe just kind of briefly saw it, kind of what those protests have been about and, and your involvement? Okay. So Roads Must Fall um, started last year um, in, at the University of Cape Town by these same born friends, right? These young people that are supposed to be happy with the system. So, they, so Cecil John Rhodes, um, was a man from the UK who came to South Africa um, with the other colonizers, took people's land, um, created De Beers, uh, the famous diamond company, um, used cheap black labor, um, uh, was engaged in the murder of, of black bodies in mines and elsewhere, and made a fortune. So the, the famous Rhodes Scholarship that people like Bill Clinton uh, were scholars of um, comes from the social rules. So he, his image um, was on the top of the UCT entrance. Um, so he had a big statue at UCT, like to honor this man because he had donated land, apparently, uh, land he stole from black people for the building of, UC, of the University of Cape Town. So black students were like, why are you um, glorifying these murderers, these colonialists? Why are you, are you, why is his statue here and we are okay with it? So they called for roads, and the hashtag was roads must fall, his statue must fall. Um, and they called for the decolonization of UCT uh, in terms of space, the fact that we, we glorify white um, slave owners, white colonialists, and people who contributed to apartheid. They called for the fall of those symbols, and um, amongst other things. And find, uh, one student, his name is Kumani Makole, threw pool at the road statue. Uh, which caused a lot of hoo-ha in the country. Uh, um, and then because students mobilized and protested, the road statue did fall. 
and and so now they've been engaged in in, in the project of decolonization besides the actual statue itself and so fees must fall happened because in south africa um fees are commodified right although um in the first democratic election, we were promised that there would be free education um, two decades ago. It's still not the case. And so black students yearly in their numbers deregister and get financially excluded from university because they can't afford to pay the university fees. Uh, as we, um, my school fees right now is 40,000 rand. Um, and that's, um, I don't know what the US, I mean the dollar exchange rate right now. Uh, but it's just 40,000 rand maybe is um, just uh, uh, below 4,000, no, 40,000 rand. Um, okay, I'm not going to try and bad at math. Uh, so, and a lot of black parents can't afford that. Uh, a lot, there's a lot of unemployment. Um, there's a lot of poverty. So how, some parents don't even earn that in a year. So how do we expect to, to, to decrease the cycle of poverty when we deny black students access to education that will help them get jobs? So students across the country in the thousands protested for, um, against fees to fall. But we didn't win that battle. We won uh, because the government is not prepared doesn't have the political will for free education. Um, it, it, it subscribes to capitalism, and we know that white supremacy and capitalism and capitalist exploitation are linked. Um, so they appease the students by saying that uh, student, uh, student uh, fees will not increase. So just for one year, we were, um, we were um, saved, kind of, from the fact that student fees would increase, but it's still expensive. So students are still engaged in the fight for free education uh, because we understand that commodification of education will exclude, continuously exclude black students in their numbers. Um, for folks that are listening, and I mean, if you need like start terms, what white supremacy means, I think it's important. I think generally uh, South Africa is considered one of the strongest economies uh, on the continent right now, generally speaking. That's mostly what I've heard. I could be an error, but I think that's often what's repeated. Uh, the exchange rate is one dollar, or excuse me, one rand, right? One rand is about six cent U.S., six cent. So if you're a school, the fees are 40,000 rand, that would be about $2,600, $2,600 U.S. That, in my in my view, that's like putting it real stark if you want to put a number on it in terms of racism, white supremacy, and how that plays out economically worldwide. That said, that is going to be something we come back to with the discussion on Brexit. Um, with, I just I want to get your opinion because with the roads must fall, uh, the iconography of white supremacy uh, is worldwide, world system. So you have these type of symbols and the language, the way that we use words, uh, who has a statue of, what we name buildings, what we name pieces of land. That is an integral aspect of white supremacy worldwide. They've had a lot of the campaigns uh, here in the U.S. about removing statues uh, of racists uh, and taking some of the uh, enslaving whites off of the money, speaking of currency. Uh, they've had a lot of campaigns around that for years, uh, taking down the mm -hmm. Confederate flag. Uh, mm -hmm. I've taken the position that 
all of that stuff should stay up until the system has been replaced. Uh, they were talking about Ben Tillman and the Confederate flag uh, in South Carolina and taking that stuff down after the shooting uh, last year at Charleston, uh, South Carolina Church. Uh, and in my view, it's very easy to take that stuff down. And really what I've seen that's more insidious is that a lot of time whites, they can take that stuff down and then they can just pretend that after about three or four years that you were talking about the way that memory is controlled, people forget that this stuff was ever up and they just pretend that everything was great and we never had this problem and we never even had a statue. Who is Cecil Rhodes? I don't even remember who this guy is. What are you talking about? They're very good. And in my opinion, that makes it even more difficult uh, because it really gives us a false sense of history, how we got to this point and things that have been done to black people that really give us an accurate explanation of why things look the way they are, which is why I've just taken the position I would much rather have all of these statues don't change anything so that we can all be very clear about the world in which we live that is dominated by white supremacy. That's why we can't get these fees changed. That's why we can't get these curriculums changed. That's why we don't have enough uh, a proper, accurate representation of black students. That's all because we're still into white supremacy. And once that system has been permanently neutralized, eliminated, then we can take all that stuff down. What, is, what do you think about um, that? I, I, I politely disagree because I feel like um, we have to understand trauma, you know, and, and, and respect people's pain. So what white, white supremacy does is not just, you know, um, the memory of it is traumatic. So uh, a lot of Rosemont Four students would say that seeing this man and knowing what he did is very traumatic to me. Um, and so I believe that we can have some, we have, can have different forms of memory. Because for me, a statue is, something, a glorification of someone or something. Um, so, and I don't think these people must be glorified at all. I'd rather have a statue of Steve Buko who would still work to remind us of the system of white supremacy, of apartheid, but he will also remind us not just that it happened and it continues to exist, but a, a, a symbol of Steve Biko instead of, Rhodes, of Cecil John Rhodes will remind us to fight. And it will remind us to continuously be active. And so it will remind us to raise our consciousness. And I think for me, that's more important than the trauma that we will experience uh, by looking at roads, um, the sojourn roads. But at, with Steve Biko's statue or Winnie Mandela's statue, we will see not only the, the reason for, uh, or, or we'll not only be reminded of what happened, but we will be motivated to continuously fight like they fought for the achievement of black dignity. <clears throat> so there's different ways, you know, of, of memory. For instance, um, in Germany, like you won't find statues of Hitler, et cetera, et cetera, just in, in public randomly, right? They are locked up. Um, in all those forms of memory are locked up in museums that the public has access to. Um, they are written about in literature that you can, that people are taught so that those same sins won't be um, repeated. And so for me, I think, I think that's more conducive. Hmm. Is, uh, is Madiba, is he on any of the like currency in South Africa? Yeah, he's, 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 it's, it's, he's all over, all over. His face is all over the currency. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to mention, uh, Harriet, it's been my experience that mm-hmm. racists, they do a really good job of uh, co-opting symbols of black liberation. Like they are, it's astounding uh, the job that they can do worldwide with that sort of thing where uh, something that you think would be a reminder of black liberation and what we're supposed to be mm-hmm. fighting for, and it can be turned around to, as I Madiba's on all the currency, Harriet Tubman is about to be on the currency mm-hmm. over here. It is astounding the job that racists can do with those symbols. Um, I did mention, uh, well, I guess before I even get to, to Madiba, uh, we had uh, an Indian student. He was a part of some of the student protests. I said this to my knowledge, has been going on for a while. This is not a new thing in terms of problems with white supremacy in the curriculum over there. Uh, But this was Mm -hmm. an Indian student, not black, and he had been Mm -hmm. a part of the protests and very accurate, very honest about the fact that black people were treated far worse than anybody else in South Africa and that these fees and what's happening uh, at the universities, that this has a way more detrimental impact on black students. Now, even within all that, he said that a part of his strategy in working in support of black people and working against white supremacy was to identify as a black person because of his political stances. And I said, to me, that just that does not seem logical. That doesn't seem like it's helping if you are acknowledging Mm -hmm. that you're not treated like a black person. You're not classified as a black person. People see you and they know that you're not a black person. That just doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem accurate, number one, and I don't mm-hmm. see how that is helping to solve a problem. And we kind of had a back and forth exchange where we, same thing, yeah. we just, I don't agree and moving forward to get another topic. Yeah. What, is, uh, what is your thoughts on that? I agree with you because, um, but let me just um, historicize it. So um, Steve Biko, um came up with this definition of black to include Indian people and um, a a racial group in this country that we call colored people and black people for them together. So he was for their solidarity and their unity because all of them, all of these three groups of people, black, Indian and colored, were all oppressed by the white supremacist system of apartheid. So he called for black unity and he called for us to all identify as politically black because we are all oppressed by white supremacy. And so a lot of Indian people were part of the black consciousness movement. Everyone worked together within the black consciousness movement to overthrow, you know, the apartheid system. But obviously the apartheid system oppressed us in different ways. Uh, um, Indian people were closer to whiteness and white privilege than the, the, the two other groups, colored and black people. Even colored people were closer to whiteness than us. So we were the majority of people that have been oppressed. So even now in post-apartheid South Africa, um, under black economic empowerment and ecom- affirmative action and, uh, and employment equity, um, so the, the same definition is still used. So to, to, so if you want to get a job, you have to tick a certain box and Indian people still get access to, to, to educate, still are seen as previously disadvantaged. So I have uh, a lot of young black people have seen the flaw with this and uh, the idea of, they call it Biko Black. So Indian people are Biko Black people. Um, and so they have a problem with that because we don't recognize the privilege of, of, of Indians, even in post-apartheid South Africa. So a lot of uh, the employment equity opportunities 
um, that have been received uh, and um, have that it was supposed to be for all black people, a lot of them have been received by Indian people because uh, Indian people had some kind of privilege uh, in apartheid South Africa so they could go to university, et cetera, et cetera, and, and have all of these you know, privileges that black people were denied. Um, and so that allowed for them, when apartheid South Africa ended formally, um, they were able to get a lot of top jobs. They were able to, to um, socially and economically climb higher because they had the foundation already. And so black, even if you look at in terms of the employment statistics, their life expectancy, their job, the fact um, where they live, et cetera, et cetera, a lot of Indian South Africans are, are very privileged. Uh, to a sense. And so for me, I, I really don't agree with, 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 with using that definition. I don't agree like you do, um, that we should use that definition uh, of black to, defi- to classify Indian people as black today, because we fail to acknowledge the, their privilege. For sure. Your point uh, is well taken that uh, in terms of in the system of white supremacy, if you're not white, uh, you're going to be mistreated. Uh, Certainly uh, Indians, coloreds, uh, everyone who is classified as not white, you're going to be mistreated uh, under this system. But I just I think it's extremely important just because if black people are going to be subjected to way more intense forms of terrorism, white supremacy, then that should be acknowledged. And I just don't think that Mm -hmm. us throwing labels to say that I'm a black person when you obviously do not have the same traumas and terrorism that black people face. I just, I don't see where that's helpful uh, in helping to, to get this problem mm-hmm. solved. It's not even being truthful uh, to the situation mm-hmm. of our experience. Um, I just, I think it's also uh, really important because when you did your segment on the stream and they were comparing the 1976 uh, Soweto uprisings, student uprisings, uh, with what's happening now when the student protests, fees must fall, roads must fall, I thought uh, you made a really uh, brilliant point uh, about the culture in South Africa that is saturated with white supremacy is not tolerant of protest. And they were showing all these images uh, of children uh, in 1976 being slaughtered and killed. And you were saying that uh, the same type of violence, maybe not people being slaughtered in mass numbers like what was happening in the 70s and during uh, formal apartheid, but that same sort of violence happens now uh, when students were out protesting about these fees. And I, would, I think you inserted as well uh, the Maracana mining situation where you did have mass numbers of people being slaughtered and shot at uh, for a long period of time and no real culpability. Um, just if you can kind of give more detail, more emphasis uh, just on this continuum of violence uh, against mm-hmm. violent oppression against protest mm. um, so for instance I think so South Africa apartheid South Africa did not like political protest um, it would just murder people random people black people uh, because um, they were gathering or they were um, having fun at a concert or whatever because they would be so paranoid that they think every gathering of black people is for political dissent or trying to overthrow the system. So in, um, when young black people were protesting peacefully on June 16, 1976, the p- police responded with violence. And in, like in other you know, protests, for instance, the Shabbo massacre, where plenty of black people also were murdered for saying that they don't want, you know, to carry past laws. 
that protest was led by a man called Robert Sabukwe that I would suggest everyone to, to find out or go read about him. Um, because, you know, Steve Biko was inspired and mentored by, by Robert Sabukwe. And Robert Sabukwe is the most, um, um, the, the, the number one prisoner by the apartheid state. They called him the most dangerous man in, 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 um, in South Africa. And he, even in Robben Island, he was given his own special cell and he was in isolation from the rest of the prisoners because unlike Nelson Mandela, who was not, uh, because he felt, they felt that his radicalism would pollute the minds of other prisoners and outbrising would occur in the prison or something like that. He was a dangerous man. So Robert Sabuko led that protest and, and uh, black bodies were killed in that protest in, in Sharpville and Soweto. So in post-apartheid South Africa, we've had incidences of police violence against protesters. Um, like you mentioned, the Marikana massacre was one of, you know, those huge moments in our country, huge and, 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 and painful moments in our country because these people uh, were fighting for a living wage. Um, and they were fighting. I don't. I don't know if any. If one of your listeners has watched a documentary called Minor Shutdown, I suggest that you all watch it. It 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 it, it details what happened on you know on those few days in the in the lead to the Marikana massacre. And in that massacre, you see the collusion of white supremacy in terms of business um, and its international um, you know white corporate money um, with the government, the black government. Uh, to collude to kill black bodies because black bodies were threatening the continuation of um, their wealth, uh, an unjust um, form of gathering wealth. And so Marikana happened. Another, like for instance, uh, I also mentioned a man called Andres Tatane. And Andres Tatane was protesting along with others for water, for access to water. And he was shot and murdered and by a cop. Um, he was not armed, and that like those scenes are available on YouTube, and it was a shock to the country. Um, and so we see a lot of these incidences. But with Fismas, for a friend recently made the argument is that um, the, the, the South African government would not have shot black students with live ammunition. All those students were shot with rubber bullets. They were tear gas. They were beaten. Uh, they, would, they didn't want to shoot them with live ammunition because of the image that would have. So um, black students, although black, a lot of black students at university are poor black students, but those who have access to the system, uh, a lot of them, especially from institutions, uh, elite institutions like UCT, uh, come from privileged you know, backgrounds. Um, they, they, their fathers and mothers fought apartheid. Their fathers and mothers are leading, you know, uh, South African corporations and NGOs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, and those students were protesting. So it would look very bad on their part to murder, you know, elite students um, uh, because there would literally be an uprising, a second uprising, a second revolt. So they were very careful in the kinds of violence that they, you know, inflicted on these students. Uh, so beyond the physical violence of shooting at them and tear-gassing them and arresting them, they also um, suspended a lot of black students and expelled a lot of black students. As we speak right now, students in different universities in South Africa are still expelled from the universities for protest. And students who come from 
poor families whose families sacrificed so much for them to have access to university now have to go back to their townships uh, without degrees, without any form of, you know, of hope for getting employment, etc. Wow. When I uh, mentioned earlier, we had the program in 2014 uh, with some of the students that were organizing uh, about white supremacy at the universities. Uh, he talked about how intensely uh, repressive it was that the students that were involved in organizing, that they were spying on their social media accounts and just making it, uh, making it very explicit that this is not something that they were going to encourage and that you could face mm -hmm. all sorts of reprisal uh, for being mm -hmm. engaged in this activity. Uh, also, I'll take a brief minute to brag on the cows. We actually, I was going to ask you about it. Uh, Riha Desai is the filmmaker who mm -hmm. made uh, Minor Shot Down. He was also a guest on our program uh, in 2014, and excellent documentary. I would encourage folks to check mm -hmm. out Minor Shot Down, as well as his other project, uh, Bambata, 1906. That is one of the best films I've ever seen, uh, talking about uh, uh, black people uh, working against white supremacy and even resorting to counterviolence. It is absolutely amazing. Uh, Bambata 1906. I think it's online if people are interested to check it out. But we talked about both of those when he was on the, uh, on the broadcast. Um, you encouraged us to check out uh, material for, uh, on Robert Sabukwe. Is there, is there any, any books or anything in particular that you yeah. recommend that you think is a great resource? So he does have an autobiography uh, book. Um, and if there is um, a tweet, uh, he does have an autobiography um, that you can find. It's called How Can a Man Die Better? Um, and even if you just Google his name, you will, you will, you will find, uh, for instance, there's a, a website called essayhistory.org. So he has um, a, a page out there so you can listen, uh, read some of his speeches, etc., etc. Beautiful. How can I manage? The sad thing yeah, about Sabukwe that I want to highlight is that the apartheid government was so afraid of Sabukwe that we don't even have audio of his voice. So they destroyed audio of his voice. So we don't have audio of his voice because they destroyed anything um, so that we don't remember him. And even in, in post apartheid South Africa, he's not even been, has not been celebrated for his role because if they, we start seeing Robert Sabuko and his ideas and what he advocated for, we will see the sellout project of this country, of the, how this country sold out black people. And we will have a high level of sensitization that will make us all realize that currently what we have as a democracy is not really a democracy. Uh, black lives matter. I mean, black lives still don't matter. Black lives are cheap. Black people don't have their land in this country, so I would definitely encourage everyone to read Sobuko's writing. How can a man die better? Putting that on the uh, reading list. Uh, we'll nab some of our callers. I see folks dialed in who have questions. Uh, if you have a question you would like to ask uh, our guest joining us live from South Africa, Ms. Simamkele Lakavu, uh, the number to dial 641-715-3673. And the code is five six four nine four three pound. Press star six if you have a question. Uh, before I nab our callers, I was going through your uh, Twitter feed, which is rather interesting reading for any folks uh, who are listening. Her Twitter feed is linked in the description, uh, where you were uh, chided 
by, uh, looked to me like it was a white woman, uh, where she said, are you prejudiced against white people? Uh, yeah. Let's get this straight. You call all white people bad, uh, so you have no racial prejudice assigning blame on every white person. Uh, she seemed like she was very upset and went on to write a few more things to kind of shake her finger at you for your yeah. views. So you don't like white people? You're prejudiced against white people? So for me, um, I don't believe black people can be racist uh, because I, I think, oh, she deleted, I'm, like I'm looking at the timeline, so she deleted all of the conversation. I mean, her tweet to me. So I believe that you know, racism is a system of power. So, and racism is, um, I love, for instance, Bauhoek's definition of racism, and I use it a lot. So um, can I, I, uh, is it possible for me to read it out for you? Let's hear it. Okay. So she writes, she says, why is it so difficult for many white people, white folks, to understand that racism is oppressive, not because white folks have prejudice, English is not my first language, (laughs) prejudicial feelings about blacks, they could have, okay, for instance, and then she, she says, they could have and show such feelings and leave us alone. But because it is a system that promotes domination and subjugation, the prejudicial feelings some blacks may express about whites are in no way linked to the system of dominance that affords domination that affords us any power to coercively control the lives and well-being of white folks. So Bell, in this quote, um, differentiates between prejudice um, and the domination and power that white people have, right? So, for instance, if for instance, if white people only were they racism, if white people were only prejudiced against us, like she says, they could have such feelings and they can leave us alone, but they're not. So they don't only just dislike us for for our being, but they control a system of domination that has enslaved us and colonized us and murdered us and oppressed us in so many ways. So even if black people can be prejudiced, for instance, I not wanting to be in white spaces, um, that does not compare to racism and the system of white supremacy because I don't have the power to deny a, a white man a job. I don't have the power to, to for instance, if I'm a lecturer, to, to give a white person low marks even though they deserve good marks like many white lecturers do in this country. I don't have the power to kill a white man and get away with it. But white people kill black bodies and get away with it daily. So I don't have the power to dominate a white person. So racism is a system of domination and I don't have that as a black woman living in South Africa. And so I can, I, for me, like I really, with white people, um, and it's something that I've had to, to deal with. I, I, don't have, I don't have feelings of fondness for them. Um, I don't try to befriend white people. I, because white people will show you who they are constantly, even when you do try to, de- to befriend them. Because I believe that all white people are racist. Um, some are racist, racist con- consciously. And some are racist unconsciously. So your white friends who can be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you got a good mark uh, for the same test that you, that you wrote. Because unconsciously, 
uh, although they might be friends with you unconsciously, they believe that uh, you are black and therefore intellectually inferior. Or how can you get a, a better mark than them? And so I'm aware of the unconscious racism as I am aware of the conscious racism. So it's very difficult for me to just sit by and watch them and just ignore it. Because a lot of black people ignore white people's racism, and I can't. So for me, the only form of protection is to just distance myself from, from them. But I do appreciate white people who are aware of their racism, consciously and unconsciously. And I do have, you know, comrades, white comrades, who, for instance, who have been part of the Fees Must Fall movement, who have put their bodies on their line, who have sacrificed their white privilege to destroy it because they understand even that the privilege that they have is unlearned, even unearned, and even the, the privilege that they have was on the backs of my people. So the, the white people that I, um, I, I, I respect are the white people who were protesting with us, who were getting tear gassed, who are willing to get suspended, who are every day in their lives, who are making whiteness uncomfortable, and who are working towards ending the system of white supremacy, and not just um, in ways that will not affect their privilege, but in ways that will affect their privilege. Because a lot of white people are like, oh, I gave a black person a job, or um, oh, I gave them a book, I paid for their school fees, without doing anything to end white supremacy that makes black people need for their school fees to be paid by you. So without any committing any form of class suicide or of trying to end their own privilege. Wow. Wow. Profound response. Profound. Uh, your, your, uh, some of these white comrades who've been tear gassed and out on the front lines, as they say, uh, working on some of these campaigns, uh, do you suspect that even they are racist, even if they are? No. I'm they sorry. know it. Oh, they know it. They know it. They are. And those, like, for me, those are the kinds of white people that I, I, I respect, right? Kind of respect, because they know that they're racist, they, be, they understand that they're racist, and, um, and they understand that it's something, for instance, racism, right? You can be, you know, the best white person in your eyes, but you'll always be racist. You will always be racist unconsciously, because racism, how do you expect people that have been taught all their lives that they are superior um, they've been taught in the media, in school, in the, by their families, by the government, by corporate. How do you expect them to shy away from those feelings? It's, it, it, was, it was consciously, white supremacy is consciously embedded in all white people from the day that they are born. And so, and, the, and white people who, for, for me, that I respect are people that, I'm, white people that acknowledge that I, and are working towards dismantling white supremacy in ways that will end and crush their own, you know, privilege. Some white folks, for instance, in South Africa uh, say, okay, I'll help build the boat to send us back to where we came from, for instance, um, jokingly. Um, I'll, 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 I'll supply, um, um, for instance, when we're protesting, they were like, no, I, I'm a privileged white person. I'm going to help supply milk. Uh, for this protest, for instance, when we are take us or all of those things, because you're not only working towards charity or and, and trying to appear as a good white, but you are challenging the system of white supremacy. So I don't like charity whites. I only respect white people that are trying to end and dismantle white supremacy. Hmm. They seem few and far in between. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> My experience. Ah. Uh, 
I was going to make a request before I get our caller. Any of these white comrades of yours that you think, you know, that the ones that you respect, that you feel like are, are doing things to destabilize uh, white power and uh, are out there getting tear gassed and all that, if you could send them our way, I absolutely love having white guests on the program. Do you know Jillian Shute? I do. Oh, okay. She's I been do. on that program a couple times. She cursed me out, yeah. uh, just me asking her. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't know. What did you say? What did you do? Oh, okay. She was on, she's been on our program a couple times, and uh, she cursed at me. Uh, the exchange was basically she said uh, one of our listeners uh, was questioning her and was questioning her with suspicion and saying that I think that you are practicing racism in some of the things that you're doing and confusing mm-hmm. black people uh, about what it means to be white and how you all operate to maintain white power. And mm-hmm. she said that... Uh, She was paraphrasing his response, and she did a poor job. She said that uh, this person who contacted her was basically saying that I'm trying to uh, silence uh, or dilute black anger. Uh, that mm-hmm. I'm trying, that's what it, it was the word tame, mm-hmm. that I'm trying to tame black anger. And mm-hmm. I stopped her and I said, uh, hang on a second, just that word tame, that right there, a white person talking about taming a black person. I don't know if we're talking about animals. Uh, that word is generally used when you're talking about animals, and there's a long history uh, of white people comparing consciously, subconsciously, uh, sometimes very explicitly comparing black people to animals. And I'm pretty certain, I know the person that was talking to her, that he wouldn't even speak in those terms. And I said, just the way that you're speaking, right now, I think, could be you practicing white supremacy. And she got an attitude. She started cursing at me. She said that she didn't say uh, the word tame. She kept interrupting me. And I said, hey, hey, uh, Miss Shute, this program is being recorded. We can just go back and listen to the archive, and we can hear exactly what you said. And she did use the word tame. It was exactly what I said. Uh, and she got really tacky and rude. And I said that your whiteness is showing. This is exactly yes. She's married to exactly. a black person. Yeah. She's married yeah. to a yeah. black male. Yeah. And- so I, I, I've worked and interacted with Chile in, in, in a few, um, in, 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 in a few um, you know, uh, environments. But also I have a problem with, you know, good whites like Janine who believe that they have an authority over blackness and black people's pain and who are constantly invited to discuss, you know, and, and given platforms, jobs, opportunities to discuss, you know, black pain and black anger. Um, because that is also a form of white supremacy. The fact that uh, Jillian, for instance, will get, um, for instance, I was at a racism conference and she got to deliver a keynote, you know, I mean, a, 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 an address there. And so obviously being flown in and all of those, you know, nice things. And for me, it also it, it speaks to their privilege. In fact, that you can have, for instance, she was also in Maragana shooting uh, when it happened in her documentary, doing work, um, you know, with, with black women in Maracana and other people in Maracana. Um, and so, and getting, you know, that self, I mean, self-promotion and all of those things, social mobility and her ideas being accessed uh, because of black pain, you know. Um, and so for me, I also, and that's the reason why I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not excited about giving you these two um, white people's names and for them to be on your shows because for me, I don't privilege white people that, that do what's humane. Ending white supremacy is your job because you've benefited from it. So I don't want to give them platforms or, or give them, you know, or, 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 or clap for them for doing what's right. And because, you know, even in black spaces, you know, white lefties will always be there trying to think that they have authority on black struggles, 
And because of what they white skin, they will get more platforms, they will get book deals, they will get so much more than any black person would get for speaking about their own lived experiences. So it's fine, it's good that you cursed her, oh, you didn't curse her out. Um, she cursed you out, but you should curse her out as well. <laughs> I, uh, I'm professional, at least that's my goal, to be professional because I really make an effort with this program to reveal what it means to be white and just to, show, to evidence what you said earlier, that to be white means you are a racist uh, and that we should not be thinking that, oh, Jillian Shute is so cool, this is the greatest white person ever and she's doing all this work that, no, she's a racist no. and that's that. Like, there's really nothing else. She's doing whatever she's doing, but she's practicing racism, white supremacy, and they can show you better than I can tell you. Let's just hear her be tacky uh, in her, the way that she's talking about black people and I think her black husband was sitting right next to her when this whole uh, exchange went down but and anyway, uh, yeah uh, her husband was, was a part of the young people that you know um, were involved in you know the Soweto uprising a friend mentioned something very funny and I don't know if it's appropriate for for this show so uh, but so she said that you know consciousness or blackness cannot be sexually transmitted you know, a lot of, you know, white folk think that just because they are in interracial relationships uh, or they birth black babies or et cetera, et cetera, that they think that they have authority on blackness and they, they get a, a ticket um, or permission to, to speak to black people in any kind of way that other white races don't just because they are married or involved with black people. Hmm. Well, I know on this pro, this is something we talked with Jillian about as well, as well as our most recent guest, uh, Mr. Christopher Clark. He's a white male uh, in South Africa. He's a writer. He was not born there. He was born in uh, Britain, but he's been there now and writing. He has a black girlfriend and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but the position that I've taken is that it is, it is one of the worst acts of white supremacy when a white person is sexually involved uh, with any non-white person under the system of white supremacy. I think it, uh, it causes mass confusion uh, about racism, about what it means to be white. Uh, I think that white person, that they, when they're doing this, that they are deliberately taking advantage of someone who's in a weakened, uh, weakened condition with the amount of brain trashing that we've been subjected to uh, that you were talking about earlier with the doll experiments and not even having access to black dolls and and just the the contamination and trauma uh, that is induced in the way that we think uh, and being programmed to worship white people like Cecil Rhodes and what have you it's totally exploiting someone who is in a weak uh, condition uh, it's total exploitation in the worst kind of way and then they can do exactly what you just said with Jillian shoot I even in my view it is akin when they go and they reproduce and have this child uh, it's almost a form of slavery where now I can actually possess a black body as mine, literally, because I am the parent and I can do whatever I want. I don't teach them about racism. That's been an integral thing that I've seen with this pattern. Even if a white person has a non-white child, they do not give them accurate information about racism, which could be, I mean, life-saving information. I just think it's totally incorrect. Uh, in my, I mean, that really, that lets me all I need to know about this white person from the very beginning. If you're sexually involved with a non-white person, you're practicing racism, you have no interest in ending this, and it's just going to be a lot of tackiness. Um, do you, what, what's your that's, view? That's very, oh my gosh, that's very tricky. Um, um, I, I don't agree with everything that you just said because I, I think that it takes away so the agency from black people. 
So um, the fact that they will always be dominated in the relationship, it takes away, you know, a, a black person's agency. Um, but it's true. Like, for instance, um, okay, historically. Um, so black women in particular had no choice to, to but to be, you know, sexually, you know, in relationships with the white men. Because of slavery, you know, white men would rape black women, not only in the U.S. and other parts of the world, but even here in our country, we have a deep history of, 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 of slavery um, and, 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 and how uh, slave owners would rape black women to assert their authority, to and uh, appease their, 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 their nasty sexual desires, right? And, and so white men have that history of dominating, especially black women uh, and black young boys uh, in regards to sexual experiences. But today, for instance, in our country, I wrote, um, I wrote an article last year. I'm going to DM you. Maybe you can share it with your listeners about building authentic um, interracial relationships. And um, there, there's a, a, a black woman that I know who, who isn't, and I don't know, I don't feel comfortable in discussing her, her relationship too, but she wrote a piece about, and she says that even though she, because sometimes we, we can't, you know, um, choose who we love, right? I, I pray to God I will never be in that situation where I have to, you know, have fallen in love with a white man. I don't think that's possible. But for those that do, I sympathize with them, you know, especially if it's authentic kind of love, I sympathize with them. Um, but that doesn't mean that you give white people a pass. Um, it doesn't mean that you, uh, you, 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 you will not hold them into account. It doesn't mean that you will, you, 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 they, they'll just be those good whites because they are, um, they, they, they've chosen to love me. So I'm, I'm just going to quote the, what Sisonke, the uh, black woman who's a writer and activist, who's married to a white man, wrote. She says, I have chosen to love a white man. That doesn't give him or any other white man who exerts their privilege unjustly a free pass. In South Africa, as elsewhere, we've all got to do the work of changing the rules of, of the game. No exceptions. So yeah, that's, that's my feeling to... to Towards that. Hmm. I just I got your article. I'm putting it on uh, my Facebook page. I'm going to tweet it as well, so listeners can uh, check it out. Building authentic interracial interrelations. Uh, so if you want to check it out, it's on the Facebook page right now. Uh, I just uh, that word agency is fascinating. Our guest uh, Christopher Clark, this white male uh, who also cursed me out. Uh, he's in a sexual relationship with a black female, and. Uh, he used the same defense. He said that you're mm-hmm. taking away agency from black people who are engaged in these arrangements. And my response to that, because that, that is a popular word here in the States as well when talking about racism agency, my response to that would simply be either it's true or it's not, that you have a large number of black, when I say large, I mean the vast majority of black people who are confused about racism, white supremacy. Either that's true mm-hmm. or it's not. If it's true, then agency is compromised in terms of our ability to make accurate decisions. 
in the system yeah. of white supremacy that are going to help solve this problem. The fact that this problem has been here such a long time, to me, just it overwhelmingly, it's painfully obvious that we do not have an accurate understanding about how this system is working because we have not been able to solve this problem. Either just at the end of the day, either it's true or it's not, that we have still got some deficiencies in our understanding of white people and how we're relating to them to go about solving this problem. Yeah, it's true, and like like I said, I, I it's 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 it would be very confusing to be in a relationship with like with a white person, but I don't I don't judge you know the people that do. Uh, sometimes I do if 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 their relationship is compromising our struggle, uh, but I don't see um, like I said for instance, Sifangem Simang, um, who writes about it does not give him a free pass, right? Um, racism, white supremacy is discussed in their household, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but for me, like my friends and I always joke, is like when it's time to take back the land, you know, in South Africa, when we, it's time to take back our stolen land, or maybe a revolution is happening, or something like that, and then they t- they, we laugh and be like, we don't want any black person or black, one of our black friends telling us, like, no, leave my white person alone. Don't take his land. He's a good white. We don't want to have those problems. So rather, let's avoid it so we, are, we don't get there. So we're not trying to, like, soothe your feelings or anything uh, when it's time to hit the boat. Hmm. If Robert Sabukwe, if he was married to a white woman, would that have any impact on how you view his life and legacy? Yes, Shem. A deep impact. A deep impact, and likely he did not. (laughs) (laughs) Right on, right on. I I guess the only other thing I'll say, because that comes up too, I think that's a a popular bit of rhetoric that you can't help who you fall in love with. Uh, In my view, that's, it is, immensely false because in this we already discussed the doll studies that are worldwide it you can't tell me that that doesn't have a huge impact in terms of how we see white people and how we see black people definitely no definitely i know i know many black people in this country even who go out to to particularly have you know white relationships with white people you know i i I know them i've seen them they are in my life um, who particularly go to have relationships with white people because they want the, the, the kids to be mixed race, to have what they say is good hair, etc., um, etc., et and for social mobility. So, but for me, it's, 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 it's very, because the thing is, you know, we don't, for, for me, I don't get, engage in this project of, of, of ending white supremacy because I don't see white people as human. Or because I I don't see I, I don't ever you know want to to be in a space where I could love other people white people for their humanity um, I'm in this uh, in, in in this project because I also I I, I, I have for instance in in, in Steve Biko he speaks about the idea of non-racialism and even Sobukwe speaks about one day I hope we can achieve the idea of one, hum, seeing people for who they are inside instead of the race, because also race is a social construct. But we can never reach that point until we solve these, we, until we dismantle white supremacy, until we, we, we resolve all of these problems of land, of, for instance, problems of, 
of just white domination and white privilege and white oppression. We can't have, we can't reach that point without, without this. But I, in, in, in me, when I, when I speak to, for instance, in, 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 um, in, in activist situation where you both fighting white supremacy and someone, some other person is white, um, where you both understand, you know, the, what white supremacy means. Um, I don't, I, it's hard for me to judge those people. Uh, it's hard for me um, when they fall in love. It's, it's very hard for me. But I say to them, when it's the time comes for the boat, when the time comes for, for us to take back our land, I don't want to hear anything about my husband. No, he's a good white. I don't want to hear it because he will be treated the same way as we will treat other white people at that particular time. I say, uh, before I never, I don't, I don't judge any uh, black person who's engaged in these uh, arrangements. I view them as, as a victim. Uh, I do judge the white person, though, because I've just concluded yeah. they are not confused. They know what they're doing, and they know what they're doing is massively incorrect, and it is an act of racism. Feelings aside, I do judge the white person uh, for being engaged in a massive act of racism, white supremacy. Um, the caller in Canada, no less. Uh, did you have uh, a question uh, for our guest, uh, Ms. Simamkele Lakavu? Uh, you should be with us, our caller in Canada. Uh, hello, uh, Ms. Lakavu. Hello, Gus. Just want to say, really loved all the things you said. I just completely ecstatic. So I have about, I think I have four or five questions. I'm going to go one by one. Um, I remember when I was in high school, I had a law teacher who liked Nelson Mandela, but disliked Winnie Mandela. I just wanted to know if you knew why is it that white people tend to not like Winnie Mandela? Because I don't know the historical background of South Africa very well. Great question. Great question. Thank you for it. Um, it's, 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 it's evident even here in our country, white people hate Winnie Mandela and love Nelson Mandela. And so, for instance, um, you know, during uh, they divorce, um, there's lots of conspiracy around it. And, and so someone once wrote, I don't, I don't remember the article that said, you could be, so when Nelson Mandela was negotiating with, with white people and the white apartheid government, is that they said that you could never have Nelson Mandela going into those meetings um, in the morning to like the afternoon with the white man to negotiate uh, the, the terms of this freedom and then and have her him go back to a radical woman like like Winnie Mandela. Winnie Mandela um, was a radical black woman who wanted who didn't care about white sensibilities who wasn't scared of white people and wasn't afraid to express it. She wasn't afraid of engaging in violence because she, she believed that um, white people are engaging us with violence. Violence is a, is a form of self-defense, you know? And Winnie Mandela, who wanted black people to get their land back, who wanted all of this historical injustice to be undone. Winnie Mandela, who saw uh, what was going on in the negotiation settlement for the, 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 the joke that it was, for the fuss that it was. You could not have her going back, this writer says, 
going back home. We couldn't have, have Nelson Mandela going back home to a force like Winnie Mandela, who's going to remind him of the fact that actually what you, the direction that you're taking in this country too is not the best one. We can do better for black people. We can do better for black dignity. And so Winnie Mandela, even now in post-apartheid South Africa, she um, has been clear in her critique of you know, this dispensation, and she's been uncompromising to that. And white people generally don't like, especially this is gendered and racialized. Um, a lot of white people didn't like Ashata Shakur, for instance, because Ashata Shakur, for me, uh, Shakur is in line with Winnie Mandela. She's radical like Winnie Mandela. And she was unapologetic about her love for blackness and for her hatred of white supremacy. And white people generally don't like black women like that. Our caller in Canada, uh, that answered your question. Do you have another one? Yes, that was a good answer, and I have another one. Um, what's it like, I guess, because you mentioned um, dealing with family members who, may, who are very addicted to an integrationist philosophy, because in Canada, unlike South Africa or America, none of our discourses, the, the word here is multiculturalism, that's what comes up a lot here, and there's no critique of that idea. It's always we must, every time we do something, we must have white people involved. There's like this no real desire for seeing black people just doing things for black people. So what's it like dealing with that on a personal level? Um, definitely, it's, 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 it's evident here, as I mentioned, and it's, it's, it's difficult. And even, for instance, with a political party, for instance, I'm a part of, um, I'm a member of a political party called the Economic Freedom Fighters. Um, um, it's, it's very pro-black. It's very unapologetic about its pro-black stance and uh, it, 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 it questions integration um, because it doesn't, it, it doesn't result in you know, you know, black justice. And a lot of the responses, not only from white people, but black people, has been the EFF is racist. The EFF uh, um, doesn't like white people. The EFF um, is, is, is not for the, 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 the kind of country that Nelson Mandela envisioned. Yes, we're not... For the for that kind of country, we're not for an integration um, in, in in a country that privileges integration that will continuously make sure that black people are at the bottom. So it's it's definitely it's 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 definitely like that. Okay, I have one. Thank you for answering, and I have one last question. What is the importance of pan-Africanist thinking for black movements globally, in your opinion? It's, very, it's definitely important because um, white supremacy is not um, a system that's evident only in my country and in your country, or um, it's evident everywhere in the world. And white supremacy was deliberate in trying to dismantle Africa and African so Africans in the diaspora and Africans, who, Africans in the diaspora who were kidnapped from their homes and taken on slave ships and murdered and made to work in plantations. So for me, we cannot engage in a 
program of black liberation without acknowledging that context, without acknowledging how black people throughout the world are all in, interconnected and how their white supremacy has, has, has worked to make sure black lives don't matter everywhere in the world and how white supremacy has also been invested in the project of making Africa uh, poorer so that they can steal from Africa, so that they can loot and make it, um, you know, and, 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 and make it ungovernable in that sense or because it benefits them. Uh, because like many have said, war is profitable and, and war is profitable for the West. And so for me, Pan-Africanism is, is really the only response that we have. Uh, and all the people that, have, that inspire me, um, Steve Biko, Robert Sabukwe, Malcolm X, um, um, Patricia Hill Collins, Asata, they've all, and many others, you know, they've all been clear the fact that Pan-Africans, whether on living on the continent or in the diaspora, need to unite in order, Bob Marley, Africa, unite, um, you know, for us to properly respond to the system of white supremacy. Appreciate that, uh, caller in Canada. Uh, I think this is Thomas in New York. Thomas in New York, did you have a question uh, for our guest? Uh, again, Ms. Simam Kele. Lakabu, uh, do you have a question, Thomas, in New York? Yes, I do. Uh, good evening, Josh. Good afternoon, Josh. Uh, good afternoon to you. I don't know what time it is here. Um, I'm not even going to mess up your name by trying to say it, but good afternoon, ma'am. Um, I have um, two questions for you. The first question, and I've noticed that um, during the course of the show that you used um, the term white privilege a lot. Um, do you think it would be more accurate and more impactful if you took out the privilege and replaced it with power? Okay. Um, so I think it's both. It's, 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 it's white privilege and power. I think um, um, why, why would you, I want to ask you a question, why, why, why would you, because I think for me both work together and are both reflective of the system of white supremacy, but I also, because for me, what I mean by privilege is that um, in South Africa, white people um, and other parts of the world are privileged. So in a sense, materially, socially uh, privileged. So um, they have better healthcare, they have, they have better jobs, they have um, even better life expectancy. So, and this privilege is not earned privilege, it's unearned privilege. Um, and so that's why I use the word, but I'm fascinated to know why would you um, um, substitute white privilege with white power? I find white privilege to be a word, um, but privilege is something that, you know, is a good thing. Um, you know, you get a privilege when you're in school and um, the teacher has to leave the classroom and she gives the student the privilege of um, standing in front of the class and talk, put right in the name of the people who talk or whatever on the board, you know. Like, um, this is way more than privilege. That, that to me, is them getting off easy. This is white power. Every privilege that they have came at the back or the, as the result of a violent, violence and terrorism of black people. And white people don't turn, um, don't seem to like to be called, put in the frame of white power because it has a connotation, especially here in the States, of being like a white supremacist group, like the KKK or the Nazis. 
said they, they will usually say white power. So when you use that, it's sort of like a blind indictment on them uh, for what they really are, racist. Definitely, I get your argument, and I, I, I definitely feel that it's, it's valid, um, definitely. Um, but, um, but I just want to uh, say that it's, 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 it's here in South Africa, I can never just say white privilege, but I need to also maintain that it's, it's unjust privilege, like you said. It's not earned privilege, it's unjust privilege. So it's just to highlight for me the, the, way, the, the way that I use it. For instance, white people in South Africa like to justify the fact that they have all of the, the, the things that they have, they, they like to justify it to say that they worked hard for it, they, they, they work smart, they, 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 you know, we are lazy and all of those things. So I use that word to say, to remind them, this is unjust privilege. You have all of these things, but you didn't earn these things. You, your people murdered people, they stole people's land for the, the things that you have. You, don't, you didn't earn them at all. So that's the reason why I use it. I just, I know Thomas in New York City had one more question, which we'll definitely let him get in. I just wanted to add on that because I, I am, uh, I regularly discourage the use of the term white privilege because uh, I think that's just one of the ways that white people are very deceptive with the use of language. Uh, I also think that it makes it very passive when whites talk about racism as they, they don't have to do anything. They just wake up in the morning and they got all these goodies. Uh, they got free gift cards to do all the shopping that they want. And they got free gas cards so they can get petro and all of this stuff just appeared. They got, you know, a hundred thousand Rand just magically appeared uh, and they didn't have to do anything and nothing could be further from the truth. If you are a white person anywhere in the world, you are expected to actively participate in maintaining, expanding, white power worldwide forever. It is not something that is passive. And I, I mean, especially in an area like South Africa, where you don't even have that many whites, you have got to be actively involved in some way, shape, or form. That doesn't mean that you have to be out protesting and calling people Kaffir uh, every day, but you are expected to be, and it's been my experience, white people will let you know when you are in violation of your duties as a white woman, white man. Uh, I think using words like white power, white supremacy are much more accurate in describing what they're doing. It's not just privilege, it's power that we're talking about. And I, su I submit that that is earned, that they have done a lot of dastardly things to get the power that they have over black people worldwide, if that makes sense. Definitely makes sense, and I've learned something today. Thank you so much. So I will also be conscious in how I use white, the word white privilege now, and I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be substituting it with white power. Thank you. Thomas, you have another question? Yes, sir. Um, my second yes, question. No, thank you for no. Well, thank you for chiming in, God, because you so eloquently put exactly what I was trying to say. Oh, oh. Oh, my second question oh, is, question is, is South Africa, is sentiments of, of anger or, um, you know, uh, of a dissatisfaction by the, as for the youth of the black South Africans, do they ever feel like um, the white people there, you know, um, their ancestors were weak for letting them come and take their land and, and rule over them for all these years? Is there ever that sentiment or... Um, do you guys like kind of look at them like, you know, they had no choice in the matter? Hopefully yeah. I worded that right. I think that's a, mm. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a relevant question because I don't think it's also, it's not only a question for us. For instance, um, I've seen this question pop up also in reference to um, slavery in the U.S. And, and, and all of those, and even in, in West Africa when, 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 when it happened. So white people, for instance, this comes in with the politics of memory, right? White people will, when they, for instance, when they discuss um, colonization, slavery, and all of those things, they will like telling us narratives of, or, of, of, or, or, sorry, of, of black people being powerless, not revolting, accepting slavery, accepting colonization, accepting the fact that they, their land was stolen, but they will not tell the stories of black revolt. They will not share, for instance, when white people first came to South Africa, I'm from a province in, 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 in South Africa that is at the tip of the coast. So, um, so it's called Eastern Cape. So um, white people arrived in Western Cape and Eastern Cape is next door to Western Cape. So it's, 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 it's like close to each other. So white people, the first encounter white people had in this country in terms of war, they had it with my, 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 my uh, people, the Kosa people. And there's a, a, there's a book that I, I'd like to share with you guys. I'm Googling it right now so, um, so that you have it, called Frontier Wars. Um, was, and this book details how Kosa people, right, were able to, without guns, without all of this, um, um, the, the violent um, weapons that white people had, without all of those things, were able to keep away white people and kill white people in many and win wars against white people for over 100 years. And so this book details the frontier wars. And those are the stories that we don't hear about and how white people, you know, reached out to, to Europe to enforce these white supremacist uh, weapons, weaponry, et cetera, et cetera, give them more bodies, et cetera, et cetera, in order, because they were not winning the conquest. And those are the stories that we don't hear about because they're trying to push a narrative about black, uh, that black people don't revolt, that they allow themselves to be just oppressed without fighting. But black people did fight, like they fought when slavery is happening and during slavery. And that's why I'm very excited uh, about um, the birth of a nation, right? The movie that um, I hope this my my optimism, you know, doesn't get um, you know doesn't get destroyed or tainted. Or, you know, I hope this movie does you know justice. Um, it hasn't been out here. I haven't watched it uh, to show uh, even in the U.S. how black people in the U.S. Uh, uh, revolted against white supremacy. And so for me, I think in our generation. We, we, we see it holistically. We see it uh, that it was not just that we lost, but we still see that we fought and were able to um, hold on to our land and, and, and beat white people in many wars without weapons, without reinforcement from, from Europe. Without that, we were able to keep them away from our land for so long, but we couldn't. We did, we did lose eventually, but it's very important to highlight that we did revolt. And in like other parts of the world, black people have revolted.
that answer your question, Thomas, in New York? Don't know if he hit his mute button or... Okay. Uh, might be in a noisy area. We can circle yes, back. Yes, um, uh, answer my question. I hit my mute button and I couldn't find my phone because I have my headphones on. But that definitely answered my question and I wouldn't expect anything um, too constructive to come out of Birth of the Nation. Uh, if it was going to be constructive, white people would not let it come out. And I'll keep my line. Thank you. Sure. For sure. I don't. I almost feel like I'm giving you a spoiler. Uh, the black male filmmaker for The Birth of a Nation, Nate yeah. Parker, uh, he yeah. is married to a white woman. Uh, maybe oh. that'll have some bearing. Maybe it won't. But uh, really, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately. No. You know, I was so excited for this film. Okay. Uh, the color at uh, 5640. I'm going to still watch it, too. I know we, we talked about it. Our listeners are looking forward to it. But my, I have lower expectations. Oh. Yeah, because I'm like, it, it got, like, white people are loving it. I'm like, it, I'm confused. I was confused in the beginning. I'm like, why do, why do white people like it? Yeah, anything that white people get excited about, I am immediately, that's the words of the great Malcolm X. Anything that makes white people happy, I am immediately suspicious. Um the uh, caller at 5640, did you have uh, a question? Our guest, uh, Simam Kele Lakabu, you should be with us. Hi, yeah, welcome to the guest. Um, I missed most of the, the first part, um, so I wanted to ask the, the guest, um, what, what, what is her ethnicity and what's the original language? Okay, my, uh, I, so I'm black. Um, uh, and I am Kosa. So, oh, um, yeah. So, so you speak the? Do you speak the Kosa language as well? I do. I do. I grew up um, in rural and township, rural and both rural and township areas in Eastern Cape. I speak Kosa. I speak Zulu as well. Um, and I, 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 I understand Tswana, Bedi, um, and Setswana. That's wonderful. I, wonderful, and I'm I'm glad you're able to keep your culture because, as you're aware, a lot of Black Americans don't know, aren't aware of their cultural or ethnic heritage. So I'm glad you're preserving that, and I pray that it continues. Um, but I wanted to ask, um, how do the Asian Indians and the other Asians from that are ethnically Chinese, ethnically Japanese, or whatever, or, or Korean, uh, and colorids, how, how do they treat you and other blacks in South Africa? Because to me, they, they tend to be the same in terms of holding white supremacist uh, beliefs and also and how they uh, mistreat black people. So I just wanted to ask what your experience has been with them and uh, if you feel that they hold on to the same white supremacist beliefs and, and actions. So it's, it's anti-blackness, right? Apartheid, the apartheid system was very um, um, deliberate in, in sowing anti-black sentiments, not only through white people, but with, um, for instance, um, Indians in South Africa, Asians, and in, with, with colored people. Um, so anti-blackness, um, even in, in media, in books, uh, for instance, I know even in the U.S. you had stereotypical controlling images of black people. Here we had that too. Um, so black people were lazy, black women 
didn't, I mean, black people didn't smell good. They were just nasty people. So, and all of those sentiments were sold in, not only in white people, but Indian people um, and Asian people. So there is that anti-black racism um, that's, that's there. Um, and I've seen it. Um, I've, I've experienced it. And, and that's why for me, um, early in the conversation, we were having a, a, a discussion around how Indian people in South Africa define as black you know, and how I expressed, I also have a problem with that because they're not recognizing uh, their superiority um, and how, for instance, apartheid, even under apartheid, they were allowed certain, you know, uh, liberties that we were not. So I've definitely experienced, you know, those, 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 um, those anti-black um, sentiments. And do you, are you friends with any Indians or Asians or others, colorists that are, or people that are not black, um, that, but that are not white either? Do you consider them friends? Do you have th- those that are friends? I do. I do have uh, particularly colored people. So um, because I, I, for me, it's, it's colored people, um, it's, 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 it's hard to consider them as an other uh, because although they are classified as an other, um, it's, I went to school with colored people. We were in the same townships. We, we lived in, we, we had the same crappy township education. We, had, uh, we lived in the same crappy township homes built by the apartheid government, uh, not developed by the ANC uh, government. Um, and so for me, um, although there's a difference in terms of racial classification with them, um, I, I don't see it because even statistically um, in South Africa, the colored people and black people are, are, are at the bottom. So in terms of life expectancy, in terms of, of access to education and healthcare and all of those things, so we, we grew up together. So they are my friends. Um, they are my family. Uh, because also have lived, coming from the Eastern Cape where slavery, um, and Eastern and Western Cape, and slavery was so rife and the rape of black women was so rife, um, is that um, even our skin tones are the same. They are part of my family. Uh, you know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's very hard to see that as an other. And to answer your question, yes. It's, it's, it's more difficult with, with and Indian people. I am friends with some um, who, are a part of, who are my comrades, um, who, who, who are also for the end of white supremacy, but who are also acknowledging their own anti-black sentiments. Um, but it's it's very I don't, it's very difficult to form relationships with white people, and I am not interested in forming them. Oh, thank you. And then my last question. My last question is um, how how are the al- black al- albinos treated over there? Um, are they are they, do they fear for their physical safety given the news of the you know atrocities committed against them in uh, neighboring African countries or, mm-hmm. or how are the black albinos treated? And also, too, in terms of their white color, white well, pink skin color, um, are, they, are they treated better than the, the uh, visibly looking black people there? Yeah. 
Um, I don't know if I can adequately answer your question because it's not my lived experiences and uh, it'd be uncomfortable to, 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 you know, claim an authority, you know, over or a really good understanding over their lived experiences. But uh, to say that in South Africa, um, we, it's not as evident in other parts of the continent, you know, the killing of albinos um, for... Uh, traditional practices. I, I don't know what other uses they have. It's not as relevant. I mean, it's not as prevalent in, in our country. But um, growing up, um, we, we, we had, you know, albinos and black people in my township. They, we, had, we played. It was like we didn't, we saw the difference, but it wasn't, it wasn't made out for you to be, it wasn't, a, a conscious thing to differentiate. For instance, it wasn't there wasn't a, a deliberate campaign growing up for me uh, to say, "Ooh, these people are like this. You should be afraid of them," or they, they were hunted down. It was not. It was not like that in my township. Uh, but like I say, I can't, you know, speak adequately about it because it's not my lived experience. I'm, I might think. Um, then my friend Noctula didn't experience it when, when we were growing up, but because it, I have a privileged position in this sense, because I'm not albino, um, she might have seen it differently, uh, because she's the one who experienced it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was just speaking of what you might have observed, that's all. But thank you so much, and okay. keep thank up the good work. Much. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the caller at 2648, did you have uh, a question for our guest, Ms. Simamkele Blakabu? Um, yes. Um, I wanted to ask the sister, has, has there been any effort to um, get reparations for the South Africans for the uh, tyranny of white supremacy? There hasn't, and you know that's and 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 that is the the saddening thing, um, and that's why um, a lot of young black people are looking for alternatives, uh, political alternatives where we will get reparations. We can't even get our land back, you know, um, and so it's none. For instance, Desmond Tutu a few years ago. You know, Devon Tutu is also held up like Nelson Mandela because he was in charge of the Truth and Reconciliation Committee, Commission. So a few years ago, he made a kind of a radical stance and white people came for him when they loved him so much. But until he threatened their privilege, unearned privilege and power, they came for him. So he asked that there must be, South Africa must think about a white tax, a taxes for white people as a form of reparation. We will use that Texas to build schools, et cetera, et cetera. And white people came down on him so badly. And you see how white people only love you and praise you when you don't threaten them and they power. And once you do threaten them, they will come for you. And Desmond Studio uh, stopped talking about it quickly because white South Africans came for him. Okay, uh, I have one more question. Um, what's what's the deal with the uh, the diamond mines? Are there still any slaughtering of Africans in the diamond mines? Or if they're being caught with diamonds, with the beers and all of that, well, what's going on with that? Uh, 
Yeah, so our mineral wealth, so um, diamonds, platinum, uh, gold, are still in the hands of white people, uh, white international, uh, um, you know, corporations that are not even listed in South Africa. They're listed in, in London. Um, and so, and we've had miners in South Africa being killed, you know, um, heavily underground who have developed uh, sicknesses that these companies aren't even willing to pay for, uh, pay for the, the, the um, give them reparations or uh, once they are ill and can't work because of working in these mines. So we don't own our mineral wealth. We do, black people don't own the mineral wealth, diamonds, gold, uh, platinum, and we have, I think, about, for instance, in South Africa, 90% um, uh, of the world's uh, platinum reserve, and we don't own it. Mm, that, that's heavy. That's heavy. Yeah. But, uh, but, but it's um, because also... Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. Oh, I was saying that it's also because, like, white capitalism does a smart thing, Right. So they are able to, to give a few black people crumbs in the system. So, the, the, for instance, we have uh, a miner here who's among the, the, you know, who's the richest black man in South Africa who, who is in mining. His name is Petrus Mutipi, and he's a billionaire. And so we have, for instance, another man. His name is Cyril Ramaphosa. He's the deputy president of South Africa who, who was also involved in the shooting of workers in Marikana. He sat on the board of that company, Lonmin, um, that those miners were working for. And because he has ANC ties, he was able to, to put pressure on the police commissioner to go handle the situation, which, means, which resulted in the killing of miners. So white supremacy is able to pick a few blacks and just give them a few crumbs um, so to silence other black people up and for us to pretend that the system, you know, is working for some black people. And, and so through, there are a few black people who have been able to own mines or have been able, given board positions or shares in these mines, but it's nothing, it's, they own nothing. They own a fraction comes of that mining sector. You know, that sounds very, very, very familiar. But um, well, that that's all I wanted. And uh, salute to the cows, salute to you, sister, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you so much. I see. Uh, we had two final callers uh, who wanted to get their questions in. I think uh, this is Roz. Roz, did you have a question uh, for our guest, Miss Simamkele Lakabu? Uh, yes, greetings to you. Good afternoon, uh, Gus, and uh, good afternoon to you, Ms. Lakabu. How are you today? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I had about three questions for you. Um, it's great to hear you, and I love to hear what you have to say. Thank you for um, being on the show. My first question is a two-part question. Um, have you ever read the works of Neely Fuller, Jr., Dr. Francis Cresswell-Singh, or Dr. Marimba Ani, and um, ha um are you familiar with the concept of the of white genetic annihilation? Of white? White genetic annihilation? 
No. Um, I'd, I'd love for you to, to tweet me all those names, if you can, or, um, because um, it's, it's, it's very important that I, I think I haven't heard of, of the people that you are referring to, um, and it's, it's sad for me not to know them. And I was speaking earlier about, the, for instance, the call for decolonization in, in South Africa. So we, we learn more about you know, European authors, political theorists, uh, and scholars um, than, than we learn on the, the thoughts of black people in the continent or even in, di in the diaspora. So young black people have to make a deliberate effort to find you know, other black scholars and black activists and writers uh, from the diaspora um, because we're not taught that. So um, if you keep me the names or whatever, and I'll, I'll definitely put it on our, on our, on our reading list because we, we have a few reading lists. And I'll share an article with you about uh, what black students are doing to, 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 to decolonize um, literature. All right, thank you. I actually don't have a Twitter page, but maybe um, Gus can send you those names on my behalf. We've talked about them and to them um, on a few occasions, quite a few occasions, and they're, I would say, three of the most important uh, African scholars to be aware of in regards to getting a really holistic understanding of how white supremacy operates on a global level and how uh, white people function collectively exactly the same, even though it might be applied in different ways in different parts of the world. So I think those three people would be um, very, very constructive as far as adding to your understanding of the system of white supremacy. Thank you so much. Um, you're very welcome. And thank you, too. Um, also, the concept of genetic annihilation is something that uh, Dr. Welsing, Francis Crest Welsing, brought up in her book, The ISIS Papers, and it basically speaks to the fact that um, no matter where black people are located, we have not been able to solve the system of white supremacy because we do not understand, a lot of us don't understand, that the reason it's not ending is because of their fear of white genetic annihilation, meaning if all of us were to get along and, be, and basically start to procreate with one another, anytime a white person has an offspring with a non-white person, the result is a non-white child. So essentially, essentially, genetically, they will cease to exist if they, if they were to stop practicing racism. And that's why it has such a um, powerful way of refining itself every time black people come up with different solutions to try and counter it. So that's, that's a, a brief synopsis of it, but, but her book will really, really bring it to you in a way that's a lot deeper than me. Um, thank you so much. And then uh, my next question was, uh, oh, how many people would you say, um, or would you say in your estimation in South Africa, understand racism as a global system versus something that is local to them in their part of the, of the continent? I don't know, and I don't want to estimate um, uh, because I, I I don't think that would be fair. Um, but I can speak about experience. my right. yeah, in my own experience. experience. Yeah, I like not many here in my personal experience because um, we 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 are taught that racism is is for instance in South Africa how apartheid has we have we have we have not been taught the institutional. Um, and structural might of racism. We've been taught the effects that, for instance, we couldn't sit on benches with white people, we couldn't move around, we couldn't go to school with them, but we were not taught about the structural stuff, about 
um, how they took control of the economy and how it depossessed people's land and how they created a monopoly over industry and attacked black industries and all of those things. And I remember when I learned about slavery, I did not know, uh, like, I think I learned about slavery at, I think when I was 10 years old, or I didn't learn about it from a young age because I always wondered, why are these black people in America? Why are these black people that I see on my TV? How did they get there? Um, and all of those questions. And I never, I never understood. And then my mom told me one time they were sent on ships. I'm like, how? Like, really? People do that? Send other people, kill them, like put them on ships and, and all of those things. And it, it, when I got older, I really understood the system of, 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 of white supremacy at a global level and at a structural level. And, um, and going to, and, and even here in South Africa, we don't even speak about slavery a lot. Um, there's a book called, uh, by a professor here in, in South Africa called Pumla Gola, and she writes a book, she says a book out called What Slavery Means to Me. And so even in our history, as South Africans, we only learn about um, apartheid, we don't even realize that there, there was a thing before apartheid called colonialism, and even before that, that we were also we also had slavery, and so and how that system was perpetuated everywhere else in the world. Um, so we don't we don't learn enough about that, and because also it's a part of you know the kind of political project that white people and 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 along with the black elite are, are trying to affirm is that they don't want to take remind us of our past because they will make us see that our past has not really is not really different to our present. Wow, thank you. And my final question is, um, what role what does our traditional African culture and spirituality play in contributing to the struggle for African liberation? And thank you very much for taking my call. Thank you so much. Um, so it's 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 very weird, um, and like your question is, is is something that I'm dealing with right now. Um, this idea of you know African culture and African spirituality. Um, so in 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 Zimbabwe, um, the my friend is doing um, um, a thesis on the Zimbabwean revolution, um, the first and second one. What they call they call them Chimorangas and how spirituality formed a huge part of that um, in terms of uh, making sure people, uh, people were spiritually secure. And, um, and today, for instance, when, um, when colonialism happened, for instance, we, we, it, didn't come, it didn't come only with the gun. Uh, a lot of people make the analogy that it came with the Bible as well. Uh, the Christian Bible. So missionaries came for instance, to South Africa to, to teach people about this white Jesus and white God um, who is here to save you from your old ways. Uh, you are sinners, etc., etc. So to be pure, you need to, and to be pure and to be loving and to not to go to hell, you need to follow this, um, you know, this way. And South Africa is a very Christian country. I think I think over seventy percent of South Africans are Christian, um, and so as we know that Christian is Christian, um, the way Christ, 
Christianity is, is taught and practiced um, validates white supremacy in so many ways. And so currently I'm also I'm dealing with, um, with, with, with what African spirituality means to me. Uh, because uh, in South Africa we have a thing called Sangomas. Uh, Sangomas is um, like a traditional healer. So um, people that, um, for instance, if you're sick, not only physically but emotionally and spiritually, uh, who guide you, who connect you, who help you connect with your ancestors, um, who, who help even physically heal you, uh, and so we have, you know, those traditional healers in the country, um, although they are compared to, you know, they're not as validated as white, um, as white um, medicine, as white doctors. They are sometimes branded as witches, um, as evil people who practice witchcraft. But I just recently found out that I too have a calling. Um, where I have to, you know, um, go and practice and, and just go and be, you know, secluded somewhere. Um, in, I don't even have the answers right now of how it's going to work out because I, I, I've never experienced this before. But I, I, it's been affirmed and I have dreams, etc., etc. And someone, my friend, and it's been happening to a, a lot of young people um, in in. In, in, in my activist spaces, uh, and my friend made a joke and said, I think the ancestors are, are, are equipping us spiritually to take down white supremacy, and it was, it was a joke. Uh, but I think it, 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 it resonated with me and spoke to me, because I, I don't think that you know, our struggle is, is, is just about the physical, about it's, it's a spiritual war, war. The fight against white supremacy is a spiritual war, and that's why they work so hard to remove us from our land and to remove us uh, and disconnect us from our ancestors and from our belief systems. Because they know in order to colonize the people, you have to colonize them holistically, spiritually, mentally, physically. And so um, a lot of young people are... Um, uh, are getting spiritual callings and spiritual gifts, and I don't know what it means yet. I don't know what my own calling means, um, but it's 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 something that I'm I'm reconnecting with. Uh, appreciate that, Roz. Uh, let's see. Our last caller uh, chimed in with the question. The caller at nine eight two eight nine eight two eight. Did you have a uh, question for our guest uh, again, Miss Simamkele Blakavu? Um, yes, I, I did. I had uh, two, two questions. Um, I had two questions. Um, one, one is dealing with white supremacy, and the other question is about South Africa before the whites came. And I start with the white, the question with, um, about white supremacy in South Africa first. Um, I don't, I'm, in, I'm in, you know, just in America, you know, the access to the little information that I have through the Internet or, you know, stuff like that. You know, I, I hear about the United States of Africa and and a lot of 
people were talking about it, you know, like a few years ago, like, but it's been about like five years since I even heard anybody even talk about it. But um, I'm wondering, is that even the logical goal um, for for me to even look forward to, you know, from here? Is that on the minds of people on the continent? That's a good. That's a good question. Um, so the idea of the United States of Africa was pioneered heavily by uh, people like Kwame Nkrumah from Ghana, um, and um, for instance Gaddafi um, from Libya, um, and other you know African statesmen and and and, uh, and women and activists who felt that, you know, Africa, because when colonialism happened, um, they carved out the map of Africa uh, for the Portuguese, for um, uh, the British, for, 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 for the French, so all our colonists, colonialists, and they carved out this map of Africa and divided us um, in ways that didn't make sense. So some people could be from the same community and for, for, from the same tribe, for instance, but because, and they were divided because um, colonialists decided that no, like this country should start here and this country should start here. And Africa trades more with, has more external trade, so it trades more with the West and China more than it trades with itself uh, with each other and the transport system uh, even just it's easier for me to fly for instance to the US than to fly to Gabon or Guinea or in different in, 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 in different parts of the continent and it was designed that way right we weren't meant to unite we were meant we were not meant to be a unified entity we were meant to be colonies of and extensions of, of France, extensions of the Portuguese, extensions uh, of the Europeans who are, are colonialists. So the African thing is, for a united Africa to happen, it will not benefit those that control power in the world, not just in Africa, because Africa at war with itself, Africa at war with each other is not profitable. It's not profitable for the people that are taking platinum. It's not profitable from the people that are taking, um, you know, tires, for instance, I, I, I heard. So Liberia um, has, has gives the world what it needs to produce tires, but does not own uh, a, 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 a tire manufacturing plant because everything is extracted and exported for people like Firestone, these kinds of multinational companies. So in Africa so, United, in Africa that works for itself is, is, is not profitable. So whoever, and we've, we've seen all the leaders that have tried to, to implement that program of action have, died, have been murdered. So Thomas Sankara, Libya, Gaddafi, um, all of them have been murdered 
and everyone, anyone. So I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm hoping that young people and, and young people um, like speak about United Africa, Africans for Africans, uh, Africans in Africa and Africans in the diaspora. Um, that is who Africa belongs to. But um, there's no political will on the people that have power to make that a reality, I think. So, so you're saying the people that have the power to make that a reality are not really serious about making that a reality. Definitely, because it's 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 um it's it's not it's 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 dangerous to try and have that reality is dangerous, um and you will be murdered. But could like I could I ask you a question? Your question, but yeah. the fact that it is dangerous for us to have that reality, wouldn't that even be a bigger motivating factor to make that reality Definitely. true? Because Definitely. that's showing us Definitely. that it it work for us. You know, I could. I agree with you. It's definitely, and that is the vision. That should be what we are all working for. But the people that can do that are the people on the ground. The leaders will not do that for us. Political leaders who are comfortable with the status quo, who benefit with, from the status quo, will not achieve that for us. But ordinary um, Africans, um, Africans on the diaspora, we are the ones that are going to achieve that, not the people in power, not leaders. We are, by rising up and making sure and demanding that change, we are going to achieve it. And to um, get to my right? oh, um, what you say, ma'am? No, I was saying that they can't kill all of us. Like for instance, if everyone revolts on the ground, they can't kill all of us. They can kill individual leaders like they did, but they can kill everyone. Oh yeah, they can't. They can chop the head off, but like you said, if it's a snake with many heads, you know what I'm saying? They can't. They can't. You know, <laughs> stop the whole the whole movement. You see what I'm saying? And. And I, and I see that globally, like you said, what's going on over there in Africa, you know, how some people get in power and they kind of forget about the regular people. And the, and the same things happen over here, but some people get in power and they kind of forget about the regular people. And like you said, people on the ground have to do more great. And my, me, myself, I definitely have to improve a thousand percent on what I'm doing. You see what I'm saying? But to my second question that I wanted to ask you about is really about before the whites came to Africa or even before any outsiders came to Africa. Um, how, how close are you to Swaziland? We're very close. It's next door. It's one of our bordering countries. Okay. Now, I was um, doing some, um, like, um, reading on the internet and I came across this guy, you know his name, um it'll come up to me, but he talk he talks about Adam's calendar. He talks about a lot of um the stone circles and you know, the um what the oldest calendar on the face of the planet that is in South Africa. And they talk about like a large civilization that had Ruins, stone circles all over South Africa. And they say those ruins were even bigger than the United States. You know, it was landmass, you know, where they were spread across. But I just want to know, like, when I listen to him, um, I even forgot the guy's name because I don't even listen to him that much no more because I can't, I can't take his research serious. You see what I'm saying? Because he'll start talking about aliens and, 
things like that, but I'll be looking at people on caves shooting bows and arrows, but he'll be talking about aliens. And I said, well, these people were that, but I, I'm sure the aliens didn't come down here and do this and then just had still left them with bows and arrows. So I think, I'm thinking that, you know, the indigenous people did this off their own brain and their own intellect. So I, I couldn't um, really get into this guy, but th- are you familiar with what I'm talking about? I am, and I, I was actually looking for uh, some referencing for you. Um, so there have been many, you know, great kingdoms in the continent, people, the first university in the world um, um, was in Africa, you know, um, um, in, um, and, and we've, for instance, the previous president of South Africa has tried to, 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 to save those ruins. Uh, where you can still see, you know, some of, um, you know, some of the infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. And then I think I don't know if maybe you were referring to a, the kingdom called Mapungube Kingdom. Uh, I've just sent it to to um, 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 uh, online so that you, you you can have access to some of the readings. Uh, and what is it kingdom. called again? Uh, Mapungube. So how, how do I spell it? How, do, how would I spell it? Okay. okay, so it's it's M A P U N G U B W E. W E. Yeah. So okay. th- there's so many referencing. So I, I sent I sent out the link. Maybe um, uh, we can tweet it out. Um, a link of with referencing of other, like it's called, it's on South African History Online, and it's just a brief summary, and then there are other, you know, referencing to, to, to it, and there's also some, a few documentaries that you can access on them. Okay, now, when, when, now like a lot of the uh, information on it, when I, um, I'm still trying to get this guy's name who's doing this work, but is is they always trying to connect it to the aliens? That is not is 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 it's serious work on it, right? Really, I, I've never, I'm laughing because I've never heard about aliens. I've never and and Mapungube. I've never heard. Yeah, this guy, this guy. When I when I when I when I came across the information, every time he talked, like he won't talk about African people. He'll try to talk about all of this, you know, beautiful architecture and stuff like this, and he'll try to connect it to, like, people from outer space, and he'll talk about, you know, you know, the Anunnaki and all, like, that type of stuff. You see what I'm saying? But I was trying to – that's why I was glad I was speaking to someone from South Africa so I could, you know, like you said, I wrote the name down, but I want to see, you know, see it from the indigenous people's perspective, and I'm thinking that it probably will be more down-to-earth and realistic type of explanation to how all of this stuff came about. Yeah, and I also just sent you um, the 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 um, sent through some 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 a link to the history of the kingdom of Mali and the city of Timbuktu, um, and then that's where you um, you learn more about you know. The, the universities that were there in, in the 14th century. Um, now, do you? I, I, I'm I'm familiar with that, like the Mali. Okay. But see, I'm I'm speaking about more mostly about just that's down in the Salido Hills. I think that's what yeah. they call it. 
And the great snake, I think it's like a 75,000-year-old great snake carved of stone. The what? You, you, <clears throat> yes, ma'am, it's a 75,000-year-old snake that's carved of stone. I think it's like 70 foot long or something like that, but it's on. It's in T-S-O-L-I-D-O Hills in uh, South. It, it's it's a part of the same. Yes, ma'am, I'll I, I say it again. T-S-O-L-I-D-O Hills. And I and I'm and I'm believing that it's in Swaziland. I'm I'm pronouncing oh, Toledo okay. Hills, and it's in Swaziland. And and and, it, and they say all of this is connected. And um, if the guy was even talking serious, I probably could tell you his name, but I I pushed his name out of my mind because you know his his work that he was done with it was really I I consider him to be a racist. You know, but I do appreciate you know. You know, I'm glad that he did his little whatever he did because I wouldn't have even know about it. But you know, I'm gonna look into more what you what you gave me, and I'll continue to mute my line because I know a lot of people got a lot to say. Let me mute my line. Good day, everybody. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's great talking. For sure. I wanted to get the name of the author of the book, Frontier Wars, because I was trying to find that as well, and I couldn't find it. Who okay, was... okay, okay. I'll, I'll, send you, I'll send you a link just now. Oh, beautiful. Outstanding. Okay. Um, I, it's much later on your end. I know it's after 11 p.m. We want to make sure you can enjoy the rest okay. of your evening and get uh, prepared for tomorrow. Um, I guess really quick before I let you go, I'm trying to, to pick what uh, I'd be most curious about. Uh, hmm... Uh, hopefully we can have you back on the program, and then I can address some of the other topics that I didn't didn't get to, uh, didn't get to this time. Um, I'll take Trevor Noah just because some of the other things uh, we'll have an opportunity to ask some of our other guests. Um, Big Star, Comedy Central. Uh, I had heard a lot of his material even before he got to Comedy Central uh, here in the States. Uh, I know he has been uh, criticized. Uh, the Washington Post, they did a great article uh, written by Wendy Todd. She's a black female where uh, the title of it, uh, Yes, the New Daily Show host is black. And he spent his career making fun of African-Americans. And she talks about how he spent, even before, as I said, he got to the States and was really well known, a lot of his stand-up routine was making fun of uh, black people both on the continent and now black people here in the states uh what do you make of his right and i guess i would even point out i think trevor noah does have a white parent uh since we talked about that but what do you what do you make of trevor noah's rise yeah Yeah, i was actually trying to find you a critique by by this um this this former classmate of mine of trevor noah and and how he used um the white supremacist gaze or try to make fun of black people using the white supremacist gaze to gain white validation and for white people to find his jokes funny. So for upward mobility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that, that, that the paper for her, by her is very important. Um, I have my, many problems with Trevor Noah. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so in, 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 for instance, in the ways that he makes fun of black people, I think it's to give white people permission to make fun of us or to make white people believe it's okay to, to make fun of us. And some of his shows that I've watched, I'm like, mm, these white people are laughing too hard at these jokes, making fun of us. Um, and so, 
yeah, I find him problematic in many ways. Um, but I've, I really don't know. I don't know how to feel. Because even when he got the job, I, I, I don't know whether to congratulate him or, or not. Because I, I, I understand, you know, the problematic history of his jokes. Um, but yeah, I, I, re- I don't know. Like, I'm, over, I, I'm not a, a huge fan. Mm, me either. Okay. He, I would enjoy checking out the paper, I guess, if it's your friend, if she wrote yeah. it or what have you. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to find it now and send you a link. Outstanding, outstanding. It has been awesome. Uh, I was stunned. Your uh, your English is spectacular. I would have never even thought that was not your uh, oh, well, first language. What can I say about black people? <laughs> 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 no? It's, uh, it's, it's awesome. I was just stunned when you uh, said that uh, to one of our listeners that uh, your English is not that good. It's like, wow, I was pretty impressed. But uh, at any rate, it has, it has been awesome uh, having you uh, on the program and just hearing your views. As I said, it, w- it would be fantastic uh, to have you back on the program to just get updates on some of the things that you all are working on and some of your works. We're going to check out some of the books uh, that you recommended. I told listeners, like, wow, when I saw her, when I saw you on uh, Al Jazeera's this stream, like, wow, she's really awesome views and uh, like stunningly beautiful on top of it. I'm uh, just super impressed. And uh, like I said, really looking forward to uh, having you back on the program and following your information for folks that are uh, on Twitter. uh, Or if if you just look at the description for the program, uh, we have her Twitter account linked. So you can follow or just check out uh, some of the information. She has a lot of uh, great uh, articles and books and just great resources that will give you more information and folks that want to check and be in the know about what's happening uh, in South Africa. But really, really appreciate you taking some of your Sunday uh, to uh, speak with us has been fantastic, and we just look forward to uh, remaining in contact. Definitely. It was so fantastic to speak to you guys. And everyone, thank you for everyone who called in. It was really great. Um, I have such a deep connection with African Americans. It's, it's insane. And I think I, I want to come and, and, and do my PhD there or, um, so I can be around, around you guys. And I'm going to send my friend. His name is... Um, Justin Hansford, he, I met him on a, an exchange here um, in South Africa, and he was writing a book on Nelson Mandela. He was involved in Ferguson and represented um, the family of Mike Brown um, in, at the UN. And I think, um, um, I think he'd be a great person to also speak to on your show about how, you know, how, in terms of racism and the law. And I, he teaches on... Uh, using critical race theory to analyze the law. So it, it was just great um, um, speaking to everyone and, and reminding me how great you guys are. <laughs> oh, for pleasure was ours. Pleasure was ours. Thanks. Yeah, if you give me his name. And if uh, I would, again, oh. I would be really elated. Any of the white comrades that you, you okay. know, respect for what they're cool. doing, tell them. We yeah, they might try on the show and be like, oh my gosh, I hate white people. <laughs> But okay, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Okay, <laughs> outstanding. Cool. Enjoy uh, the rest of your evening, you. and we'll definitely speak with you soon. Thank you so much. For sure. Bye. Good evening. Context of white supremacy. Fantastic. Uh, really glad I checked that. I would encourage folks. You know, watch the uh, the stream on Al Jazeera. I don't necessarily. Uh, 
agree with all their content, but they, they do have uh, quite a few programs where they are talking directly about racism in different uh, parts of the world. Sometimes it's things that are happening here in the U.S., and other times it's things that are happening on the continent or wherever else it happens to be. But they do a lot of programs uh, that directly deal with uh, racism. Al Jazeera's the stream. It's like a... I don't know, 40-minute program, uh, and they have like two or three that come on per week, a television program uh, that comes on two or three times a week. But really glad I caught that uh, with her on just like two, uh, two weeks ago, uh, Ms. Simankele Blakavu. And again, her Twitter is linked in the program. She sent me all kinds of links on my Twitter while we were going to different things that she was referencing. So I put them on my Facebook page and tweet them out so that people can uh, follow up. Uh, to get more uh, information, and I already put the article that uh, she referenced about her views on uh, tragic arrangements in interracial relationships, uh, the piece that she wrote. I put it on my Facebook page as well, I'll, and I think I tweeted it out also during the program, so if you want to check that out, uh, you can do so to see what she has to uh, say about that. Really uh, hoping we can get her back on the program. Always, always, always enjoy having folks from the continent uh, on the broadcast. And thanks to the folks for tuning in early because this is uh, certainly much earlier than our typical broadcast time. Uh, it's like 1130 in South Africa right now. It's a nine-hour time difference between uh, me being here on the West Coast and uh, the folks uh, in South Africa specifically. Uh, so definitely appreciate people being able to turn in, uh, tune in uh, earlier, and it'll be in the archives uh, if you're not able to tune in live. Uh, folks have uh, any uh, quick comments that they uh, would like to share uh, before we get ready to wrap things up? We should be back on Wednesday. We were supposed to be here tomorrow. We were really going to be flexing like our uh, international might on the cows because we were going to have Professor Afua Cooper on the program tomorrow. She's in Nova Scotia, Canada. We had our caller uh, in Canada with us earlier. Uh, she was supposed to be here tomorrow, and I just had to reschedule because for whatever reason, the book is being really sluggish uh, in getting here. Uh, it was ordered almost immediately when I made the request uh, for the book, uh, but for whatever reason, it's just the mail has been slow or white interference, whatever, but uh, I still don't have it. So uh, eventually, I guess the book will arrive, I can read it, and we can be prepped for the program. So hopefully that'll happen during the first weekend uh, in July. However, uh, we should have uh, a white person in Canada on the program this coming Wednesday, uh, also talking about the uh, history, evolution of white supremacy in that part of the world. We're going to have back-to-back -back, uh, Canadian guests on the program, but we'll just have to settle for uh, this coming Wednesday. Uh, but we'll be back. Uh, at, that program will be at the normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, uh, Wednesday uh, evening. Uh, you can just check the Black Talk Radio page, uh, the Facebook page, uh, for updates when we're going to have uh, future broadcasts uh, and the times and what have you. Anywho, uh, folks have anything they want to uh, share quickly before we get ready to wrap up. It's so early. You can still go out and enjoy uh, your Sunday. It is a beautiful day uh, here in the Pacific Northwest. Cannot wait to get outside and get a little bit of sunshine because it has not been summer weather at all here since April, really. Uh, it was really nice and warm in April, and then it got cold for May and June. But it is starting to warm back up, so I'm looking forward to getting outside. But uh, folks that dialed in, if they had anything they uh, wanted to uh, share, what they heard uh, from the guest. Uh, caller at 9516. I know you didn't get an opportunity to get your question in. Did you have uh, anything that you wanted to share, if you wanted to share your question or just any observations from what you heard? Uh, yes. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Uh, I just wanted to ask her uh, have about people, uh, black Americans going over to Africa, like have their attitudes changed? you know, over the years, you know, because a lot of times you have conversations, or I've had conversations with black people here, 
and they always have bad things to say about Africa. So I was just wondering how the attitudes of black people that she that come from America that she's encountered has so have those attitudes changed in it. Hmm. Wow. That would seems like she has had a lot of uh, constructive uh, experiences, present company excluded. <laughs> it seems like she's had a lot of positive experiences with uh, black folks from the States uh, based on her conversation, uh, either people coming over there and her saying that she wanted to come here to do uh, some graduate work. So it uh, doesn't seem like she's she's had too, uh, too tough an experience uh, with folks repping from this part of the world. Um, any of the other folks who uh, dialed in have uh, questions, uh, observations uh, from what they heard from the guests? Yeah, I have a I'll question. She got into the, um, the British. Um, she didn't really touch on that too much. Uh, I wanted to know the effect that was going to have on the black people in South Africa being that um, being their number one trading region. And I wanted you to repeat that number you said earlier. How much is a uh, – you said a, a – Man, six cents to a dollar or something there, the exchange rate? You mentioned their their currency, the rand, uh, Mm -hmm. the exchange rate for the dollar, it's one rand is about six cents. That's the exchange rate. Uh, In my opinion, I mean, if you want to make it clear so you can start to uh, quantify uh, white supremacy and the global implications, that and I, I mean, again, South Africa. So I have been told that is one of the stronger economies on the continent. Now, I could be in error, but I feel like I've seen that reported regularly in comparison to many of the other uh, countries, quote unquote, on the continent. That South Africa is supposed to be one of the stronger, if not the strongest economy. So if it's a dollar, or excuse me, one rand is six cents. That's the exchange rate. That is a whole nother level of perspective on why white people would flock to the continent. Uh, You would not even have to be a super rich white person to be able to go there and ball out of control. Uh, And I'm sure it was even better uh, before the 2000, uh, 2008 recession, as they call it. I'm sure it was even better. I mean, I can't even imagine, but I mean, we could be talking like one rand is like, a tenth of a penny or something really ridiculous uh, earlier. So I can totally understand why you would want to go. I mean, you could buy the bar out every day. You could buy the bar out every day and buy all kinds of stuff. I mean, her, uh, I think she said her, her tuition and fees and everything for school is 40,000 Rand. That would be about $2,600 U.S. Wow. Um, well, do you think, well, the whites there use the Rand system as well, right? The, the boards? Right. Okay, so, yeah, okay. Wow, That's, that is a huge differential. Um, I thought they would be more on par with the dollar being that they are a white country. So that's, wow, they're living, yeah, they're living real high off the hall, I guess someone say, over there, man. I'm with my mind thinking. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay, I have, I have two questions. Um, in regards to South Africa, how do you, because she brought up uh, Robert Soweto, how do you spell his name if I even pronounced it right, or do you know? You mean Robert Sabukwe, or are you talking about? Yeah, Sabukwe, yes. Okay, Robert Sabukwe. Uh, uh, give me one second out there. The thing I was going to say 
uh, about the Brexit, she had written about that specifically, and she said that already the Brexit vote was Thursday, uh, that the RAND has already weakened by 8%, so it might even be getting worse <laughs> than one RAND to six cent US. It might even be getting worse, but she said that the RAND has already been weakened by 8% since the Brexit uh, vote happened that they're going to leave, that Britain is going to leave the uh, European Union uh, at the end of last week. Uh, and as I think I said on the compensatory call in yesterday, uh, that South Africa, one of the main areas that they do trade with is Britain, uh, and that this is going to have a big impact uh, on their trade relations. You have a lot of companies uh, that have offices and what have you uh, in Britain, and that was something I had highlighted to ask her, but uh, just got caught up in a lot of other things. Again, the only reason that I pushed that off to ask about Trevor Noah is that I think we're going to have black people in the UK on the program soon, so they can speak to that directly, uh, since they're right there uh, in the UK and, and the ramifications of that. And uh, some of the black people that I'm thinking of, they are knowledgeable about economics on the continent as well. So I think we'll be able and we'll be able to spend more time uh, talking about what happened with all that and the implications for black people globally. That was the only reason. And uh, I can totally understand if people are like, I don't care about Trevor Noah, it would have been better for you to ask about Brexit uh, earlier in the program. So we could have heard her view on that. But she did comment on that. Now, Robert Savukwe, uh, the spelling of it, I believe is or not believe I think I can give it to you accurately. Uh, S O B U K W E Robert Sabukwe and uh, the book she gave was How a Man Can Die Better. How can a man oh. die better? Excuse me. How can a man die better? Okay, thank you. Now for my next question, do you know who, who's the white Canadian guest coming on? That is. Uh, <laughs> If you give me a second, I can uh, give you his name, too. Or I can just pull up uh, the book because it was one of your recommendations. So somebody that you said uh, we should get on the program. That's who it is. Um, it's, uh, let's see. Graham Reynolds. Graham Reynolds. Okay, I don't think I remember. Hmm. Viola Desmond's Canada, A History of Blacks and Racial Segregation in the Promised Land. Oh, yep, yep, okay. I remember that. Okay, thank you. Oh. Mm. Wednesday, normal program time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Okay. Other folks, uh, any observations? Are everybody good? Anything else folks want to make sure they got in? Yes, I, I wanted to uh, address what the lady was saying earlier about uh, how uh, black Americans take uh, continental Africans. I met, I'm from Virginia, and I met one, I met a, a fellow African-American in the library, and he, he lived in, I forgot what part he lived of Africa, but he lived in Africa for like seven years, and uh, he had nothing but praise for it. He said it wasn't perfect, but uh, living there for seven years, you can see how backwards it is here as far as relationships between men and women and how they conduct themselves. And that's his only criticism. With, uh, he said the men are too spoiled and they should uh, give in a little, but that was a minor complaint or a minor grievance or whatever. Uh, also, 
uh, the things he related to me about how they live and everything, it validated a lot of my own personal research. So that's, that's all I had to say. Uh, anything else folks uh, wanted to get in? I was going to ask her how she felt about uh, Idris Elba, him playing uh, Madiba in the movie, because I know we talk a lot of times uh, in the U.S. context about having uh, black people that were not born in the States portraying uh, well-known black people, uh, Dr. King or other folks, uh, Coretta Scott King, uh, having black people, black actors, actresses that were not born here playing these people. Uh, and they've done the same thing on the continent as well. Steven, Steve Biko, I think Denzel Washington played uh, Steve Biko in Cry Freedom. I was going to ask her about that as well, but next time. Anybody else, uh, anything that we're going to get in? Uh, I wanted to say for the um the call from Alabama um to Google um the Holy Tablets. The Holy Tablets. Um it's a book written by Doctor York. It should come up in um for free on Google. You can just read it on your your device. But it talks a lot about the the aliens and um things like that. And it kinda of puts it into the kinda of puts all the religions into it as well. Um you know, it's, it's a very interesting read, you know, fiction. Everybody satisfied or? Everybody got their commentary in who had something they wanted to share. Um, the person, we had one person that wrote in, a listener, uh, their comment, let's see, was, oh, okay, they were just appreciative of the guest. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to get her on uh, the program as well. It was kind of uh, short notice, but also glad she could hang out. I assume all the folks uh are good, uh, who had a hand up uh, since nobody else spoke up to get anything in. Uh, as I said, we should be here on minimum uh, Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific. Graham Reynolds uh, should be here, uh, Racism, White Supremacy in Canada. Uh, and we might even be here before then. Just, again, check the Black Talk Radio page, uh, Facebook page. We'll have <clears throat> updates uh, for coming broadcast, the time, guests, all that, so you can be well prepared. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Uh, if anyone is interested uh, in checking out the book of Matt, uh, that is about the death of Matthew Shepard, uh, where they are calling this a hate crime. Uh, this book, the thesis of the book, is that this was not a hate crime; that this was uh, basically just a drug deal gone bad, uh, and this has this case, this death. Uh, has been deceptively used as a part of the uh, mythology of a war on gays and look how bad we're treated, which really has picked up with what happened in Orlando uh, over the past uh, couple weeks or so. But uh, he'll be on the program a week from today uh, to talk about that book, The Book of uh, Matt. I'm really looking forward to it. If any uh, folks are interested in reading, it's not that long. If you're interested in reading uh, to prepare, 
Uh, that's what I'll be reading uh, this week. Uh, let me know. Uh, it'll be great to uh, read with other folks in preparation for the program. Really looking forward to it. Uh, and an important book, in my opinion, because they attached his name, Matthew Shepard, to the hate crime bill that was passed, I believe, under Bill Clinton, uh, the James Burr Jr. Matthew Shepard Hate Crime Act, uh, again, making it synonymous as though white supremacy and what is happening allegedly to gay and LGBT people uh, are synonymous, one and the same. Uh, and I've just said that's, that's just another aspect of the deception uh, that's happening worldwide. That was something else I was going to ask her about as well, because I see that happening in the, on the continent, uh, South Africa specifically, but on the uh, continent more generally. Uh, same thing uh, that they're doing here, that they're doing over there. Anywho, I uh, hope folks got some constructive uh, information. I think it's always good to be able to talk to folks different parts of the world uh, and just see how many things are similar. So much of what she said applies directly uh, to how the plantation operates in this part of the world. Uh, if you have any questions, confusion, guest suggestions, gripes, uh, as I said, she gave out a lot of links uh, to different books uh, and uh, resources that she would recommend. Uh, I'm just going to put them on my Facebook page. They'll be on the Facebook group. Uh, I'll tweet them out as well so you can uh, do further research if you're interested in checking on some of the things that she encouraged us to check up on. Uh, Miners Shot Down, fantastic uh, documentary on the Maracana uh, mining slaughter that happened in the summer of 2012. Uh, Riha Desai, he was on the program in 2014. Uh, he did two great documentaries, as I said, uh, Bambada 1906, which is also just really, really uh, well done uh, documentary and talking about black people uh, working against racism, white supremacy, and even resorting to killing whites uh, on the continent. Uh, really great films uh, that you can check out. And again, uh, Mr. Desai, the filmmaker, uh, he was a guest on the program. You can visit the archives uh, as well. Uh, Thanks for tuning in early to the program. If you're going to go out and do whatever you do to enjoy your Sunday, since it's still pretty early for folks in the States, even people on the East Coast, uh, I would just encourage be codified. Uh, sobriety would be best under conditions of white terrorism. Uh, we are facing war in all areas of people activity worldwide every single day. We want to always make sure we're in position to make fantastic decisions to keep ourselves safe. Certainly, if you're going to be in a vehicle, you do not want to be under the influence, and that goes if you're the driver, passenger, even as a pedestrian. Uh, you never know when it's going to be Darren Wilson, Daniel Holtzclaw. That's the one that's pulling you over uh, that could be easily taking your life, uh, putting you in greater confinement, or just causing you a mess of unnecessary and easily avoidable problems that last for years. Uh, keep that in mind, and you want to make great decisions Keep yourself safe and anybody else that you might be responsible for that's with you or in your vehicle or whatever the case may be. Let's not make race soldiers' job any easier. Uh, and certainly buckle up if you're going to be in a vehicle. Let's do all we can to minimize contact with race soldiers. Uh, I will say again, two of the worst words to be together in the English language, alcohol and whites. That is a bad combination anytime, any place any circumstances. With that, invest if you think the program is constructive, racism-notes.blogspot.com, racism-notes.blogspot.com, listener-supported counter-racist radio.
You'll see the PayPal button in the top right corner. If you're not into PayPal, drop us an email. We'll get you a physical mailing address. Again, massive thanks to all the folks who have invested, contributed down through the years. I hope the program has been, continues to be worthy of your time and energy. Uh, with that, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. Right. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.